There's some problems, man, like trying to feed hognose, like if their body is near the mouse. Like I had a freaking hognose snake, like bit her own tail and then started eating herself. Welcome to From the Ground Up, where we talk to reptile keepers and breeders about all things cold-blooded. Sit back and have a beer with us. Well, some of you are driving. If you're driving, keep your hands tended to and enjoy the show. What is up, everyone? Welcome to From the Ground Up podcast. So I want to thank everyone who had a part in CritterCon, anyone who bought tickets. I mean, thank you so much for supporting me and supporting all the educators that that showed up. Obviously, special thanks to Colin and Mike of Crosstown, Bill and Teresa of Cold Black Exotics, um, Emily and Ed of Snake Discovery. And I include Ed because we did get Ed's hands. And at the end, we may have gotten a full body Ed, which is pretty incredible. And then also um, Brandon Fowler of Roaming Reptiles. So um, thank you to all of those guys for coming out and for uh, putting on a great show. And I got really good feedback from the people who watched it. So um, I'm really ex- happy with how it went. And really some some unsung heroes of, of everything that was going on um, was definitely Jeff Frederick, Hands of Jeff. So go check him out. Um, he's done a lot of logos, say for Morelia Python Radio and other snake breeders, as well as doing every single design on CritterCon. Um, everything you saw that had some type of design, that was him. And not only was it him, it was me getting to him at like 12 at night and him doing it by like 1.30 in the morning. So I really appreciate all of his hard work through all of this. So he's definitely a, a big unsung hero of uh, what, what made everything come together. Also, big big thanks to our Reptile Gumbo podcast. I mean, uh, James and Katie and Carly and... Um, and Ryan Cox and just that whole group, April, they all really came out and posted on groups and invited people out to, to check out CritterCon. So I really appreciate that. And of course, our sponsors, Josh's Frogs, Superior Shipping Supplies and S&J Reptiles. All you guys all know, Ian, and also Morelia Python Radio. So I really appreciate everyone who had any type of hand in that. Um, honestly, that was one of my biggest undertakings that I've ever done. I've never, obviously, in these situations, you've got to overcome certain things. And uh, we tried something new. And uh, I'm glad I did. And who knows, maybe we'll do it again someday. Some some people were asking for it. Uh, but it was, it was a tremendous amount of work. So I may need uh, even more help next time. So, uh, but I, but I do look forward to at least considering the fact of doing it again. But other than that, portcitypet.com, you can go check out um, isopods, we have supplies and we have, uh, we're actually getting some new stuff. Oh my God. I can't wait to, to show you guys what I am also getting into. Um, I'm really getting into things that are going to be great pets for everyone. So, uh, I look forward to, to sharing my different passions with you guys. And guess what? I got, I got three clutches today. I got, I got Eastern black king snakes laid, uh, the female laid at 11 eggs. And then I had, what else did I have? Um, I have a ghost girl who's laying right now. And then I also had a Tessera head honey lay today as well. So, man, it's been a busy one and it's been a busy few days, but I am so glad to be in the reptile community and uh, and having fun with it. Um, I think this is this has been one of the most one of the most busy as far as reptile work goes. And I've really, really enjoyed it. And I don't know. I hope I, uh, 
I hope I'm able to make this my full-time living, you know, at some point. Um, it just kind of shows me all the things going on. It, it shows me that I would really love to do this uh, full-time at some point. But anyway, enough about me. So today we are going to be talking to Scott Russell of Boss Hogs. He is in Baltimore, Maryland. He has a crazy cool collection. He, he's called Boss Hogs. He obviously has hog nose, but I mean, he has so many other things. So Scott, welcome to the show. Hey. How's it going? So tell us, good man. Man, so that was a great, in, in, uh, great intro, by the way. That was like flawless and unrelenting. You know, it covered like all the bases. <laughs> yeah, I mean, after doing this like hundreds of times, you would hope I at least got something out of it, you know? Uh, well, yeah, I mean, that's a good point. But still, it's uh, <laughs> I've done a few videos recently and realizing how many times I say, um, and pause and stuff becomes like way more obvious. You know? Yeah. I've become like yeah. very cognizant of that. Yeah. It's good. Good for speaking. Um, so yeah, I'm here. Uh, so... <laughs> I do, I do have a bunch of, uh, I do have, well, I've, I'm trying to keep the species under control, the amount of them. Uh, you were going to ask me, yeah, man. I mean, well, let's go over what species you generally work with, because obviously, okay, hog knows, but you got something else going on behind. Is, are you still trying to do this like PG? No, no. Like PG th- okay, I, this I was is what I'm trying to do. This PG. Okay, th- this is what I fuck with. All right, <laughs> um, I got some hog nose. Uh, I got so maybe I got like fifty snakes total, including some like almost a whole clutch of babies I've held back, some other stuff. Um, got some hog nose like a dozen bull snakes that i'm raising up um i have three retic females two of them are super dwarfs i'm like kind of you know buying into that kind of thing or you know not buying into but it's something i, I wanted to but i'm trying to acquire you know since there's so much more expensive than the other snakes trying to get like one a year or something um what is that is that three? Oh, and i have corn snakes which i love Got some real nice select corn snakes, and I got a yeah, you know, I got some leopard geckos. You know, uh, full confession, I do <laughs> leopard geckos. Oh no, don't have shame in a leopard gecko, man. Leopard geckos are cool. They are, they are cool. I could just, uh, it, it's just, it's not so much that. It was just I fell for them. I was like, oh man, you know, I'm getting back into reptiles. Like these couldn't be easier. They're pretty cool. Is nice to. Uh, they were kind of the first thing I bred and got to hatch out and stuff to cut, you know, get a, a re- kind of refresher trial of how that goes. So that, that was cool, but it also, you know, whilst doing it, you kind of realize unless you're making something really special, like, you know, plenty of leopard geckos in the world. Yeah. It kind of, I mean, it's definitely an animal that is overproduced in a sense, but also, I mean, there's always room for for nice quality animals also but uh, i feel like the crested gecko kind of took over the market in which the leopard gecko had previously as like the first pet lizard yeah i mean they're kind of like equitable i don't know it's you know i guess it's just owning you know a couple dozen of them or having babies or whatever they do i've experienced like some problems with them they're not like bulletproof they can get you know, they can have issues if they're not, you know, like attended to, or like, I, I noticed one thing is that kind of talking with other leopard gecko breeders is, you know, they can have weaker babies later in the season. So like if leopard gecko lays eight, you know, two clutches, eight, four or five clutches of two eggs, their last clutch, they might have not, I wasn't getting, um, 
uh, oh, what's that syndrome? None of them are whatever that morph is. Like that enigma? That, yeah, none of them were enigmas. So me keep questioning other breeders and stuff like what this was, like this neurological thing. They're like, well, it can't be an enigma because it's, you know, some other morphs or whatever, but it could just be link of, you know, creating, producing poor eggs later in the season, weaker animals and stuff. But I, that's not what I expected. You know, I expected like you get a clutch of snake eggs, bang, they all pop out. They, at worst, they don't, some of them don't feed, but they're kind of all equal. But when they lay them, when a lizard lays them spaced out, it's interesting that they have the different clutches that have different qualities. Yeah, especially because usually when you have problems with snakes, it's usually your own doing during incubation or something. You know, if if a egg goes bad, if you get some kinking or just some straight up weird genetic issues. But yeah, it's never usually just a product of the animal laying at a certain time. There, there's that. I mean, it could be there could have been some dips I wasn't aware of at some points in the incubation. It's just being, you know, less experienced and it being a first time thing. I did kind of consider that a lot. There could be a lot more variables at play, not just be like, oh, it's this one thing. So with the animals, the geckos I'm trying to breed now, um, you know, I'm trying to just improve all the all the areas, you know, like giving them more vitamins and better food throughout their breeding cycle, which is, I think, trying for me starting now um, and yeah, better food, vitamins, may add in the incubator, just super dialed in. Now I have it and I, I refinished most of my basement and turned it into a reptile room, which is what you see here. And that having a room that uh, temperature that's really similar to the incubation temperature is, you know, something that I didn't have before that's going to like, you know, kind of allow it to, you know, stay stabilized better. Uh, yeah. So we'll see how it goes. Darren Watson said he has a beautiful snake room in the chat. So me, yeah. So props. Oh, just my. It's an all-white serial killer room, but I think that's what most snake people want. I know, right? You want that. I don't know if you remember back in the. Um, I want to say back in the day, it was really only like five years ago. But you used to uh, Ben Rennick had those white racks, just rows and rows of white racks, and like a okay. white floor, and like everything was bleached every single day. And it was just perfect looking. I feel like that's where for a while that was like the the ideal aesthetic for a, for a snake room. Ain't no crypto in here, dog. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, it's cool uh, for practical reasons, too, just for photos. Having like a white, I think I got a gr uh, what I got a grayish, neutral kind of gray behind me. Having like white and gray and black, I feel like they're the they're not going to alter the color. Of taking, you know, you take your snakes out while you're cleaning them or whatever, snap your pictures. And, uh, you know, if you have some cool, like, jungle print background in your room that looks really neat, like, that's pretty tight, but, like, your snakes might all look a little more green than they actually are. I think it's also important when people are outfitting a snake room it's like uh the lighting is super important it makes it just a lot easier so like i try yeah. to i try to light my place up because i actually saw this from matt minatola and it's like you know all bright daylight bulbs and just yes. light that thing up with a stadium like a stadium because you can just pull a tub out and even if someone needs a picture really quick like you're trying to make a sale or something someone's inquiring about an animal you can take a quick picture and it doesn't look terrible yeah and that's kind of what I want with through here. I'm going to, I don't know if I can go like mobile on this, but I got a few, um, you know, I put recessed lighting in the ceiling. There's like pipes and shit down here. So I had to maneuver around this, which was like not fun to deal with. 
Um, so they're a little spaced out, but they create, you know, it's like if something's blocking light over here, you open up, there's at least light here shining down, you know, this tub. So yeah, that was kind of the goal and just got some, uh, uh, the, the cheaper recess lights with the led replacement puck things that plug in, um, and set them to daylight. Cause it just looks kind of clear and nice. Um, although it's still frustrating because I got this nice, I got this nice iPhone, you know, camera and it's, it's really nice, but it, it's, I don't, I don't know if I can control it, but it, it decides a lot of color information. Mm-hmm. I can see it actually like in a white room or like around here, like you take two different color snakes and you move the camera, you'll see it adjust the tone of it. And you're like, dude, like just go like, you know, set it to zero or whatever. And then I can like at least compare the t- these two like Arctic hognizes I have because I'm trying to see if like one is higher expression than the other, and you know it's hard to tell if like something is a brighter color or not if the you know camera's kind of making decisions. But that's, I mean that I don't know how to fix that. That's the answer to that is like you use a real camera and spend way more time. Yeah, I think I'm lucky because I have the the Samsung S9 Plus, and it has a pro mode. Okay. And so you can change like shutter speed and aperture and white balance and all of that. So I know I can do that after I take a photo, but I haven't found a thing to do during. This might be a pointless conversation because I just might not know my phone well enough. Yeah, you, uh, you but, may have capabilities that you're unaware. But, yeah, yeah. So, but even, even light's good, diffused or whatever, you know, that's cool. Uh, oh, thanks. Thanks for the snake room compliments. There's two rooms. This is like kind of like an, a 10 by 12 foot room. There's like some bulk heading over here that lowers down. So I can't use racks that are six feet tall, like six feet everywhere around here, six and a half feet lower over here. There's definitely like some weird, like spatial tetrising trying to figure out, like, I, I want to keep my species like separated. You know, I got, got the retics behind me. Um, this wall over here is going to be, um, you know, all bull snakes, maybe just side up the corn snakes with them too. Um, I got kind of a workstation over here to clean stuff. Leopard geckos are in this tower, gecko towers over here. Um, and then if we go this way, there's another like eight, eight by seven foot room. It's weird because there's like a furnace and a boiler and all this crap down here. So I had to make the rooms like a weird shape. But that room's cool because I can make that room hotter, smaller. It's like eight by eight. It's got the hog noses in it. Those are the ones that are supposed to be like such a nightmare because they're not like getting the right, you know, it, it, it being able to kind of match the ambient heat and I have to turn the heat up, tape up so much, like trying to find a good compromise mm-hmm. with that. And I was kind of racking my head over because I, I had everything on the, on a second floor bedroom. So the fluctuation like was insane. It was like running the AC all summer, like running the heat all winter and it was just driving me nuts. So like the thing I wanted to fix by moving everything to the basement was like more stable temperature in some sort of like, you want to call it a microclimate difference of, you know, one room that's high seventies, low eighties and another room that's, you know, on the ground, on the concrete, like low seventies. Are you in the city? Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> like, are you in a row house or I don't know how. Yeah. I'm on the end, end of a row house. Um, okay. So, so you're, you're messing with kind of an older house that has a bunch of irregular shapes and stuff like I do in Philly. Oh well, yeah. Yeah. If you live in an old Philly house, it's super similar. It's brick. Yeah. Is it brick? Yeah. Very yeah. similar. Um, a lot of uh, slanted floors and skewed walls and, and whatnot. Um, 
but uh, they're they're honestly they're better bid houses than most of the new ones people buy today. Since 120 years old and it's like pretty awesome still. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, I have a little bit of trouble um, keeping keeping temperatures temperatures straight. This wood floor, mm -hmm. I mean, mine as well. Just be see through. I mean, everything goes. There's free airflow everywhere, so keeping heat is a little bit a little bit difficult. But is that not on the basement floor then? No, no. I have a, I have a basement, but that's where I keep like a very small colony of rodents just in case I have problem feeders. Um, and it's it's not really finished, and sometimes it floods out. So like I'm definitely not keeping a. You just described rodent. my reptile keeping situation <laughs> up to two or three months ago. Like I had up in a bedroom, it, fluctu it fluctuated too much. Basement was dank and gross, and just like. It being unfinished, like that weird dust and dirt that builds up, it's mm -hmm. just so much weird, mysterious grime and litter boxes, these cats, you know, running around making a mess. And so, yeah, it, I really just had to go like maniacal with it. And I put a French drain in because it was like flooding. And, uh, oh, yeah. Um, I re-concreted like half the wall. I like paid a guy to like help me and do most of it, luckily. There's actually a guy who like, he like, kept a couple ball pythons and he like bought one off from PetSmart and he bought like a 20 gallon aquarium from me. And then he went and looked at all my snakes. And then I ended up paying him like two or $3,000 to like do all this work <laughs> on my basement. Oh, damn. You should have, uh, should have traded some snakes. Yeah. I didn't have any to give him at the time, <laughs> like anything that he wanted. Um, but still though, the basement waterproofing stuff is really expensive. What I paid, the few grand I paid him in for supplies would have been way more if I just found some quote unquote Joe jerk off water proofing business that'll be like, Oh yeah, uh, $20,000, you know? And then you like just walk downstairs and they like stapled some plastic sheet to your wall. And you're like, uh, okay, that was cool. I guess, I guess my basement's waterproof. I'm just paranoid. I've been living here for almost a decade. So it's like, I, it's just every time I go to the basement, I'm like one of these days, I'm going to fix this thing and I'm going to go like, you know, insane on it. Ain't, you know, not going to be any create my own clean area to be a, you know, snake psycho. Well, I mean, it looks great, man. I mean, you can't Thank ever you. tell it that, that ever flooded or was ever a dank basement. Of oh, well, all this sort. stuff, I put studs in and added insulation on every wall and stuff. So I actually wanted to like keep the smell in and, and, and retain heat or retain cool if I have to cool it. Um, the kitchen, these are like the pipes for the sink for the kitchen and everything upstairs. And there's like kind of holes, you know, to, you got to cut to get the pipes through and stuff. So it's like, I wanted to close it up. I don't want like snake shit emanating like into my kitchen and just do it right. Yeah, absolutely. You know? By the way, everyone, uh, everyone in the comments are talking about how you look like little Dicky. Who the fuck is that? You don't know who little Dicky is? wait a second no. i'm gonna have to screech here so little <laughs> dicky's like a uh he's he's a rapper but he's kind of like a funny rapper you know white guy from from philly actually um, i don't want to be associated with that no he's a funny guy <laughs> no he's cooler than you think he is but you you definitely look like him when i was younger i'd get like the ashton kutcher stuff or like someone said i look like Sylvester Stallone. Like, I don't know. I live in Baltimore. There's just like a bunch of like crazy people that run up to me like, hey, yo, you look like Cliffhanger. And I'm like, all right, cool. 
Oh yeah, he's got well, that's like super generic, like beard on sixty, you know, hair on sixty percent of the head, white guy look. Yeah, white guy beard, I, I got curly a real, hair. Uh, I got a real like lowest common denominator. You know, like I can, I can. Should be like a spy. No, no, I have the same generic <laughs> white person look. Yeah. Stuff. Yeah, dude, have you ever had, like, people come up to you in the street and, like, say, like, oh, dude, what's up? Or, like, I, I had someone come up and hug me once because they thought I was somebody else. And I, and I was like, that's, that's you know, that's nice, cool. I'm not who I think you think I am. No. Yeah, I just get, you look like that guy. Or I had I had two yeah. people in high school that apparently I look exactly alike. Oh, right. Okay. Hmm. Take that for what it is, I suppose. Well, thank Thanks, guys, in the chat. I guess that's his compliment if he's, like, funny or whatever. Cool. People girls like don't dislike him. Trust me. Girls don't. Dude, I mean, girls like the other dude with all the tattoos on his face. Like, Malone. <laughs> yeah, dude. I mean, there, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't think it's how it's look, he looks. Maybe it is. Some people are into, like, I don't know, trolls. <laughs> like you know, troll dolls look like trash. i'm being mean but the guy's rich and famous and he's like surrounded by people like him so maybe it's okay <laughs> yeah i mean those kind of things that you you get away with when you're very talented and wealthy when you're rich and famous people can make fun of how you look it's like what is it really gonna hurt him whatever no he's doing all right yeah it's good it's all fun just don't you don't make fun of like people who aren't doing good <laughs> yeah that's you punch yeah, you, up yes you punch, up. punch down yeah that's and then you're good you know hey, Bruce Malone, if you're listening uh you can come on the podcast anytime but with that said the nirvana thing he did he played good, like man. every nirvana song ever that was really cool like and i'm like he my roommate turned it on I'm like what, what is this shit and then after an hour i was like dude like all right i can't hate on this this is really cool yeah, and he didn't play like the greatest hits. He didn't play "Smells Like Teen Spirit" like immediately. He he played like songs from Bleach and some cool stuff. So yeah, I mean, you almost you have to though. I mean, Nirvana's like thirty plus years old now. You can't just be like, oh yeah, that one song. Yeah. So snakes. Snakes. What do you got for me, buddy? What, what, what do we got? Do? I'm just gonna keep rambling. <laughs> so how did how did you first get into reptiles? What first got you interested? Okay, so I, I think part of it was having an older brother that really wanted one and having a mom that hated him. Um, and at some point through time, I managed to talk, to, like, even though she wouldn't let my brother get one, talk, you know, I talked her into it, got a couple of garter snakes, um, got a baby boa, um, got some, I actually bought like 1.2 veiled chameleons that were 25 bucks. That That's have it a great having a grace reptile show when I was like 10, like 11 or 12. Um, so it was, it was really cool. I really enjoyed it, but you know, just, you know, having whatever look ADD or, or whatever, you know, just being like interested in too many things, you know, you kind of neglect stuff or get, uh, you know, like, ang ang I don't know what anxiety about was back then, but you know, anxious about, you know, like, Oh, I got these things to take care of and whatever. And, you know, you have a couple like bad experiences, like, uh, you know, one or two animals died and I had, uh, I actually bred the chameleons, but the, uh, they just weren't big enough. And I didn't realize the only, you know, the information I had was from like a, uh, uh, you know, just a book I bought and it was really cool. I put them in, they bred and the one died egg bound and I still got like a couple eggs and even one hatched out. But, he, but even after all that, it, it was just like, I just, 
kind of, you know, didn't know what anxiety was and just kind of thought maybe I was just like a shitty, like reptile keeper. And maybe I shouldn't, you know, it just shouldn't be a thing I do. You know, you get interested in other stuff like, you know, skateboarding and, you know, music and rapping stuff that you rapping other stuff, you know, try to get chicks or whatever, you know, you don't want to be the weird dude, the snakes or whatever. Um, so it, you know, kind of, kind of faded out. And for a long time, I really didn't get back to into a little bit through high school. Like had a friend that was into corn snakes and, uh, you know, it just, it, it was never any, on a large scale thing. And it would turn into something like, you know, I had a corn snake and I went away for a month and my roommates like, Oh, it got out. And it's like, I don't know what that means. Like, it just randomly got out or did you take it out or, you know, you know, but anyway, it's just like, man, this, this isn't like, this isn't good, you know? So just fast forward a bunch of years, like, you know, I'm in, you know, turning 30, I'm 33 now, but, you know, turning 30 and just kind of, I was really just following snake accounts on Instagram. I just followed, followed a couple like hognose snakes, snake Instagram accounts. Um, back when I, the last time I tried to kind of keep snakes, I was like, 19 and I actually bought a whole clutch of baby hog nose from some dude on like King Snake, which looked the website looked identical. That was <laughs> they've actually haven't changed one thing. It's amazing. Um, if you want to live in a time machine, be reptiles. <laughs> um, so I got them and it was cool. And dude, this is just like a shitty story, but I set them up and either it was an error in me setting them up or the room being too hot or whatever. And like, basically like had a, had a girlfriend, like watching them while I went like away for two weeks. And it's like, most of them died. Like I came back, most of them were dead. It's really weird. Cause like the girl I was dating, like didn't even tell me they died. Like she was like, she was hanging out nervous with my, or she was hanging out, but she was like hanging out with my friend at the time who she started dating. As soon as oh, like, man. It sucked. That's it was really like, a it was double like, whammy, dude. It was just the right thing. It's like, dude, fuck keeping snakes. Like, fuck this. <laughs> this sucks. So sad. And then, <laughs> you know, but I remember back then, like, they even had, like, an albino or two on King Snake. It would be, like, what, like, one, two thousand bucks? I'm like, damn, it's crazy. And then I get on Instagram, follow, like, JMG Reptile and some other dudes, and they're, like, got these super arctic snakes and uh, albinos and, and lavenders and, and toffees and sables. And, like, holy shit, like, this hobby didn't stop when I stopped. It just got way cooler. Like all the things I thought might be cool in the future have like way over happened. Like when I was really into snakes as a kid, it was like, I remember that reptiles magazine with the one picture of the pied ball python. It was like 20,000 bucks first ever. Like, whoa, like there's two like ball python morphs, you know, like, dude, like that's like, you can go morph market now, like pie ball, ball pythons. You can get, what do you want a one, two, three, four, five, six, seven percent pie. 10, 20, 30, 50, there's like 500 on there. It's amazing. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy in just such a small time in the, in the grand scheme of things, such a small time period. 15, 20 years. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know, it was just some, you know, uh, mid quarter life crisis, whatever thing, or you actually can just do weird stuff once you turn 30, like if you're not married. Well, I think, yeah, you get into hobbies, you start, you get a little more money you get like enough money to spend on shit that you wish you had when you're a kid so yeah i would come back to kids to things that you liked when you're a kid also oh yeah oh yeah well that's like that's that doesn't even need to be said about humans that's just (laughs) not saying but 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 yeah it, it helps yeah and it's uh 
it's something that that keeps you busy and keeps you uh there's a lot worse hobbies to have yeah the maintenance level of it there, there's a lot of kind of bulk what i would consider like bulk work to the hobby that doesn't ask anything of your brain but that's okay sometimes because I've had other hobbies where you're kind of forced to make de- most of it is being forced to make decisions. Like you're making music or something. It's like, Oh, I want to be this long or be like that. Or, you know, there's, there's not, there's, there's the brain brain list to creative work ratio is a little different. Um, and I can still feel like I'm doing what I need to do and working towards what I want and everything's fri- thriving just by kind of throwing some man hours at it. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of uh, the mindless work of it can be, can be nice sometimes. Then you get a little bit of creativity when you're working with morphs as well. I mean, what did you yeah. first get interested in as far as Hognose morphs go? So what I have right now is a little bit of a roundabout approach that I've definitely learned from some mistakes with, but I think what it came, like what it start, what I should have done, what I wanted to do is I just wanted to get some super arctics. What I have now is some, some ingredients to make some, um, and uh i've got other genes kind of like some hats mixed with that like i got a i've a lot of head albinos and i got a male arctic albino you know so i've been able to produce our arctics and albinos i have some um I've a lot here's a plug for um john rice from fathom hogs he's in ohio he's sold me most of the hog i've bought um with all the talk of like people's crypto explosions and whatnot and and stuff like that like he kind of, uh, we, you know, we've kind of discussed that it's important to buy breeders from like one, one good thing. It's like maybe someone that doesn't have a ton of different species of snakes. Like it's, it's pretty good if they just have one, you know, it's like, you're not going to have some typhoid Mary situation, which I think is what you've brought up on other, I think other episodes about, I don't know if that was your podcast or not. Yeah. I mean, there's plenty, there's plenty of whether it's, mostly viruses that go in between species. I mean, or something like IBD that, you know, is okay, okay in boas. They don't outwardly show it, but say you have a boa next to your pythons and they cross contaminate and then it's deadly in your python when your boa may not show any symptoms. So it's like, yeah, there's, there's plenty of, of reasons why you would want to kind of stay focused. Right. And in, in, in addition to that, he, um, kind of only deals with like three or four. I don't think this is telling anyone too much of his business. I mean, this is like a fucking plug for him. He, he's got like this dude, Mitch Davey in Florida, who's a partner and uh, Dan Eby out in Montana and then Jeff. And they, they seem more or less, they kind of only trade snakes within each other. So mm-hmm. they know that like uh, one of them gets some new snakes. He quarantines them. They're good. He's having for a year that gets that morph for whatever I don't, I can do it. I cannot speak for how they literally do it now, but I, you know, I don't want to say other people's business, but it seems very wise. I don't even say smart. It seems wise to limit, you know, who you kind of share, like grow, trade your breeding stock with. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's super important. And especially with the mass of animals, I mean, and how many people do we know, including myself have had, you know, major die offs of collections. So it really helps to be, uh, to be preventative. Yeah. That's, that would be the thing that's, you know, that's the only thing that hasn't really happened. That would be the thing that would make me want to reconsider all of it. You know? Well, I you already have... had the, the girlfriend kill the snake and then go with another dude. So that's pretty bad. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Well, it's like, yeah, exactly. Then I, I kind of need, I need a couple wins. 
<laughs> yeah, it's like you started off pretty rough, man, uh, with the chameleons and and then that situation. But I, you know, it's like I take responsibility for that too, though. You know, it's like there are part of it was you know I there there are people I hear on these podcasts they check on the reptile room 10, 12 times a day or something to make sure nothing goes off. I don't do that, man. Like I. I come in every day and check on them, but I, I, I really enjoy focusing one or two days a week where I really do all of it and go through everything. And I know there's some there's some downsides to that because you're not always on the pulse of it or whatever. But like, I don't know, dude, I got anxiety. I got anxiety, but I'm also interested in a lot of stuff. So it's like trying to manage like, well, I don't I can't just like quit everything I'm interested in. So I don't I'm not stressed about it, but I have to, you know, I got I got to plug away at an acceptable level that's you know that's just you know i just want to keep slowly moving upward yeah i think i think some people i really respect their thoroughness as far as you know they're in their room so much they're checking everything they know humidity levels of every part of their room temperature levels of every part of their room they know exactly what date everything is happening they take perfect records um but for me man that just takes all the fun out of it to be honest I respect that a lot. Sometimes I do it and I feel really good about it, but you just realize there's the time just starts to disappear and every thing you kind of still needed to do that day gets pushed forward or to the next day or whatever. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's trying to find a balance in also I just got to be cool with sometimes it's like, dude, I did the bare minimum, but that's cool. Cause sometimes I put the extra time in um, the, what, what I kind of error on, uh, my, my, my style seems to fall into with cleaning and maintenance is, uh, sometimes it might go a little longer than it, uh, should, you know, like I might only like clean or feed or water like once a week. Um, you know, I know other people do water changes like daily or like, you know, whenever. Um, but when I do clean the water, I like, I scrub the bowls with Dawn dish soap and like spray ammonia. Cause I feel like it's not, I know like maybe you need higher percentage ammonia for a certain amount of time minutes to kill crypto or whatever. But on the whole, I feel like, dude, I'm like, I'm, every time I clean these, I'm like, I'm frying them. So there's at least that they're getting like some really clean water for at least the first few days that's sitting out there. And that's, you know, that's where I'm at. That's that's like a, just a confession. You know, <laughs> I'd love to have, I'd love to have the discipline to like change water every day. I would, my self-esteem would be, you know, like all you know, up here. I think yeah, there's also things that people say that they do and then things that they actually do. So who knows? Truth. Truth. <laughs> I mean, everyone, <laughs> everyone says with the breast practice, they, 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 they read a list of the best practices and they say that's what they do. And then it means they did it once and whatever. Yeah. And it's good marketing to say you do all of these things over and over again. Um, but I like to be honest because I'm a human and sometimes like I I got off work late tonight. So this pushed back the podcast. It pushed back things that I was going to do before this podcast, which was setting up eggs. Now I'm going to have to do that after. And now I may not be able to feed tonight. So maybe I'll do that tomorrow. Sorry, guys. I'm off my yeah. feeding schedule. I'm a scum. And, there, and, there, <laughs> and there's so many like things with reptiles that like you can do it half-assly, but you're going to be coming back to deal with later or it might ultimately take more time. But there's always like, always oh, better to do it all in one block, you know. Like, it make you know if I change all the water bowls for all the species in the same day, like that's gonna net like the most efficient like thing. 
but it might be a larger block of time than splitting it up over the week, but I don't have the discipline to split it up over the week. I think we also have the luxury of having, you know, some species that are a little bit more forgiving. So there, there may be some species in which if their water bowl dries out, like that's it, man, like they're dead Uh, for us. There may be a little and bit I more. I think I'm, I'm lucky that I guess I don't have any of this. I mean, hogners are so fucking weird. Like, they're so weird, yeah, dude. Quirky. Like, I took some out of permission that, like, you know, they went off feed for a while. And, like, they were off feed for a while. And then I finally brumated them. So, on top of that, ambermation's like, dude, haven't eaten in, like, months. And uh, took them in some water. And it's like, they're like, get me out of here. What the fuck is this water? I haven't seen it in two months. I'm like, what is this? And then the other snake I put in there, like this male I throw in the water to soak. I come back 30 minutes later and he's still drinking. And I'm like, dude, you're stupid. Like, what? You know, I pick him up and he's hissing at me and water's spilling out of his mouth. Like, he's like, like spitting up water. I'm like, that's, well, first of all, I should take taking you out sooner. But it's like, I cannot, I, I can't find like any sort of logic behind these creatures. Um, <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're weird. <laughs> Yeah, they. I mean, keeping hog nose was an interesting experience, just because it's like, uh, yeah, they're they're very different than a lot of other snakes. So, how exactly do you go about keeping them and breeding them and and doing all that good stuff? Alrighty, um, I will. Uh, okay, so I want to kind of disclaim throughout this. It's like I'm getting back into this stuff. I don't want to speak with authority, and there's no there is no authority on this shit. So you kind of got to like. So to some extent, you got to trailblaze your own way based on what readers you buy stuff from, say, or what book says, new book, books say. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I'm trailblazing a bit, and I think I'm trying to find what works for me. You know, I feel like that's a pretty common theme. It's like, this is what works for me. So I'm in a different house, different climate, different whatever. Seems the universal thing is they don't really like large enclosures. Uh, the hog nose babies. I made I made like a clone of one of those I one forty racks or I ten racks by Reptile Basics. The super tiny little diddlyos, and uh, you know that that will work for a baby. Um, it seems like the it almost seems like their enclosure is their hide. You know, at some point, mm. like you got to have a small enough little like tub there, and it it is their enclosure. They need that security. Some of the small, bigger ones go up into six quarts. I got a couple of those. Um, and then I use the Reptile Basics, uh, like VE series tubs. It's like VE8, VE11, VE23. Um, I love them. I've kind of built, I don't buy any of their racks, but I buy their tubs and then like copy their racks because I'm just, whatever, a dork. Um, so those tubs are great. They can do that style where it's like, you can get three really three, like eight quart ones or two 11 quarts or one twenty three. So within that, that covers all my hog nose stuff, like uh, a big female hog nose and that DE 23 might want, I would like to maybe give them a little bigger thing just because they're actual like, uh, um, humidity box slash lay box just eats up a good like quarter of it. Cause I can give them a nice big one in their water bowl. So that they didn't have that. They have plenty of room. Yeah. And did you have a similar experience, at least when I had hog nose, like my female was very consistent. My male was completely inconsistent. Uh, yeah, but they will both kind of go on and off. Like the females will go off weirdly because they're like, they think, I don't, they think the year is over. Or they're like, they had their eating season, perhaps. Um, the males, 
And I don't know if it's either both brumation, like temperature drop and breeding activity makes it not want to eat. But yeah, they're, dude, I will say that having several of them makes it a lot easier because you're not stressing about like this one normal morph pet hog knows you bought that won't eat. And it's like the the central focus of all of your stress. Um, You know, so after you have like a dozen or two, you got some problem feeders like, okay, we're going to keep trying with you. We're going to do some other things, you know, whatever. Um, I found that sometimes like honestly live pinkies. That's, that's kind of worked for me more than kind of like sending stuff. Dude, that is so brutal to watch, by the way. I don't know if you've ever watched a hog nose eat a live pinky. I, yes, I have. Uh, <laughs> dude, well, dude, a pinky is still like that really helpless, small, also easy to kill kind of thing. I fed like a live hopper to one of my hog nose, and I like totally, re- I will like never do that again because it's like the thing was alive like three quarters of the way down the snakes. Well, I did that, and my hog nose couldn't it was even catch it. He couldn't. No, he couldn't even catch it. So. Dude, they can't catch any sort of tea feeding, whatever. But then it's like you throw a live one, and they're like, "Oh my god, love it." Um, pinkies are like that's okay though. Like it's it's a, that's all right. I'm not happy about it, but you know whatever. Uh, no, but my, my male almost exclusively ate live at one point, just because I knew that that's what made him a little bit more consistent. So. Yeah. Um, and then they, once they get in the vibe of that, you know, you throw a frozen thought in front of them and they're not really thinking about it so much. And they're like, oh, okay, cool. This has like half the characteristics of what the last one had. You know, it smells like a mouth, kind of warm. Uh, the other thing I'd say though is, you know, instead of, this, again, not speaking with authority, this personal experience of like trying to make this thing work for me. Um, just brumate the motherfucker. Don't try like eight million <laughs> cents. Just brumate that motherfucker. Put that bitch in the fridge. <laughs> you know, like I got a couple males, females, whatever. It's like, dude, like if you if you want to zoom around and not eat for a couple months, you can be like at you know fifty degrees and do that, and and not because you know you're 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 knocked down a little bit. And I feel like that's you know it, it works for me. Yeah, it, it definitely is a good approach. Like, I feel like uh, it's not going to die being information. It's, you know, still like a natural thing to do to it. Uh, and you get a really fresh start. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, you find that across, I think, all colubers, at least that I've worked with North American ones. And now, obviously, in order to breed, I mean, it seems like you're obviously brumation is pretty pivotal. Pivotal? Yes. Pivotal. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so once you get them out of brumation, I mean, what's your feeding schedule like? Uh, what's going on there? I'm still trying to hack this out, man. Like, I don't know if you could relate, but when kind of get a wish list of stuff you want, you realize you're just like spending all your time taking care of it and you're not really putting as much forefront into it. Like that forethought. Um, shit, what was the original question? Uh, how do you feed when you when you get your animals out of brumation? Oh god! Oh yeah! So that's something that like I don't remember. Like I don't remember what I did last year. I think, um, I think actually what what I've been instructed to do from my friend is perhaps even try to reintroduce pairs before you even feed them. Like even before you put them back on the heat. Like I'm taking a couple pairs out of brumation. They back up a little bit. 
I was able to roommate two winters ago, like naturally, like I just had them in a cold room. And this year I wasn't moving stuff to the reptile room. I just like in the, in the midst of all that, I got a wine fridge, put a Ranco thermostat on it. And finally, like through way more trial and error than I want, got that dialed in. So it's like, okay, cool. I can roommate my stuff, bringing stuff out kind of staggeredly just as things went off feed or, or whatever, as I'm ready for them. So I've got a couple pairs of hog nose out. I soaked them in water, gave them a good old drink. Um, and I'm going to keep them in room temp, you know, like kind of some 70 degree temperatures for a week or two. Um, and then I'm going to put them, put, you know, turn the heat tape, put them in the room that's a little warmer, high 70s, uh, put the heat tape on kind of like low 80s, um, start feeding, start pairing. Um, what I haven't decided yet is whether I want to start pairing first start feeding first uh the males i have ready now are a little smaller which would make a great meal for a female hog males up nose out of permission so there's some things to consider to say the least yeah i mean they're it seems like they have some type of weird half the time they don't want to eat and then when they eat they eat the wrong thing like my female ate all of her eggs or you know oh like boy. they're weird creatures man my best female ate a freaking paper towel and it was so <laughs> weird because she ate the whole thing, got it all in there, and what saved me and saved her was basically because the towel was like kind of wound up. I pulled out what was like the inside of the towel, and it like like a sock turning inside out. Like pulled it like six inches out of her gullet. Like whole paper towel. Another time I got um, there's some problems, man. Like trying to feed hognose, like if their body is near the mouth. Like I had a freaking hognose snake, like bought bit her own tail and then started eating herself and it looked like totally like one of those youtube videos of like the snake eating its tail and they're like what the fuck do you do with this you know so i sprayed some alcohol on her face luckily i, I like really rinsed her out because i felt that i'm like not trying to like snakes don't get drunk like but, you, that. but you were also then, trying to eat yourself so i mean yeah yeah I was like dude like it was going it had like passed the past the vet far past the vet <laughs> Oh man! Like and I was, it's terrifying. Oh my god! And uh, yeah, so that was cool. Hey, and also uh, yesterday I tried to like, so I had these bull, bull snakes. I was putting in. I have uh, one pair of bull snakes ready to breed out of my dozen, and I was putting them into brumation, even though it's eight. Oh May, Jesus! I'm just, I'm you know, I'm that cool. I took some hognose out. I had some space in there to put the bull snakes in. So those are going to be, it's it will be fine. I'll have like all these off season babies people want. So anyway, I took the the bale bull steak. I'm like, oh, like rinse you under the sink, you know, 70 degrees, 70 degree temperature. Like, you know, you rinse you off, put you in a tub to soak so you can drink some water. And it's kind of like you're not like just diluted all the gross stuff on, you know, like rinse their body off so they're not sitting and making it mucking the water up. So I put him under the water, he fucking like just bit me. And he bit my hand here and coiled my whole hand here. And it was like a feeding response thing. And I don't know, maybe I like clean my mice, like, you know, saw the mice out in the sink or whatever. But it was like, he was on, he was on me for 15 minutes. Oof. Like, and I couldn't, I was handcuffed. I couldn't like get to the snake to pull it off. Um, I went upstairs to my room and I'm like, hey dude, um, kind of need some help. Like, it's not big. It was like, you know, four foot bull snake. Didn't even, surprising the teeth still weren't that big. That really hurt. But I was like, dude, this guy is like holding on to me so strong. There's, I can't get him off me without hurting him because he's still like into it. 
Yeah. So I sprayed, sprayed a little bit of alcohol, finally gave up after, you know, water over the head, alcohol. Um, so, you know, that was interesting. Yeah, that's one of those things where you may have one snake go into brumation and come out with a completely different attitude too. And it's like, you can never fully, even that <laughs> snake that you trusted before, he may be a little bit hungry. He may act a little that's bit different funny. than he usually does. Because I, I totally trusted that snake. Like he never even hissed. He would maybe do the weird backing out thing that hognose do, you know, or uh, bull snakes. You want to stiffen up and back out, you know, like do this thing yeah. in your hand. Yeah. He would do that. He would do that. That's about it. But he just like, he just looked at my hand and it's just funny because I'm not, I don't know, I'm not, uh, I'm, oh, they're all, my buds are falling. I'm not crazy about getting bit by my snakes. Like it, the, how fast they strike never ceases to to alarm me you know what i mean especially anything that's bigger than a baby definitely every time i get more used to them i'm not uh trying to be like i'm afraid of getting bit but i'm also like i prefer not to i mean that was an ordeal yeah, agree you know like if that snake didn't bite me i wouldn't have to spend like 20 minutes like harassing him to leave me alone i could yeah. just like you know do his thing not a good, good experience for either of you really yeah 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 yeah, it's uh, yeah. I think I think it's, you know snakes that don't bite. That's a good thing. Trying to definitely get that. Um, I want that to be a, uh, you know, real good common theme with my reticulated pythons. You know, yeah. The, the before super we free ticks. Before we get too far off that way, um, pairing mm. up hognos. <laughs> we saw, yeah, man. Let's we, bring it we, back. We we, we bring we it back into both snakes. Now we're we're bringing it back. We're good, man. Keep me on track. Yeah. So pairing up, how do you do that? I mean, obviously you went into brumation and you started feeding. Um, yeah. How do you make sure they don't eat each other, do anything weird? And do you watch them the whole time? No. Well, I, last year I had a like proven nail I got from a friend from this guy in Ohio. And uh, I was pretty confident leaving him in for like two days at a time. You know, didn't really witness much actual, uh, you know, locking up. But at the same time, I'm like, you know, I... I don't have enough experience with this to be the dude who's like pulling them up and while they're mating and like taking pictures of them. Like you see like constantly on Facebook. It's like, I just want them to like not fail. So I'm going to put them in there Hope for the best. Um, the smaller guys I'm going to keep an eye on the ones that I'm trying this year. Um, just because I can't really afford to lose them and they're definitely smaller. So I'm, I think I'm going to try some more frequent spurts less time put a male in for hour, whatever, let them know that like, Hey, that's like a thing you can do. Like you can mate, like make some eggs. What's up? You know? And then like a couple weeks later after I feed them good, you know, put them together again. Uh, that one of the males, I, so I have a het coral male. It's like het lavender, het albino. And I've got, uh, I got some interesting stuff. I got a lot of like females that are like pause head for a bunch of stuff. And I kind of like intentionally was like, you know, I can't, I can't just, some of these hog nose morphs just to get like into it. Like you want to get a pair of sables that's like 3000 bucks or something. But I have some 2019s that are uh, three or four of them that are like 50% het sable, but they're also like arctics or they're like possible het lavender or something. So they could, they could be het for some really good shit or not, but they're still really nice arctic females. And I can make some really nice super arctics with that. Make some nice arctics with it. Um, and most of them, they've got probably everything like within that is head albino. 
you know, mm. just for the odds. Kind of like, like corns, like everything's recessive. Dude. So you, you end up with some random recessives in your breeding. That's honestly my biggest regret is like buying stuff that could have a mixture of stuff is like, I, I, there's definitely some projects I'm dreaming of in the future that like, I do not want to trace the fucking albino in, you know, like there's especially like, I mean, even Arctic's and super Arctic's albino Arctic's and albino super Arctic's are cool. They definitely like, they don't look different compared to a regular albino when you're looking at two, but a rate, an Arctic and super Arctic. That's just, you know, not albino. They're really stunning. Like, especially the super Arctic's and I just love that, you know, black and white exanthic style uh, snake. Um, and that's really what I'm kind of like, happen to have a bunch of, of, of Arctic morph combos and super, you know, ultimately super Arctic morph combos, which just seems like all the big, big hog nose dudes are still haven't seen them popping out much. Like, I don't know if you've seen a super Arctic lavender, like the JMG dude, Jeff, Jeff Yellwood has one. If you scroll back on his Instagram, it's purple, dude. It's purple and it's got like diamonds going along its back. It's like, because sometimes the super Arctic pattern with other morphs can change the pattern even more. And like there's certain stuff like super Arctic condas, I think, or, or like maybe an Arctic super conda or a super Arctic super conda may have more pattern on it. It's a lot than of just a regular. Right. So this double, uh, what is it? Codependent morph. What the fuck is it called? What are we, what are we on now? Probably incomplete. Or That's it. That's it. That one, that baby right there. Uh, incomplete. It's two incomplete dominance in the super form or one in the super form, one in the half can have more pattern than just a super condo, which is a patternless. It'll actually like put like some weird stripe back on it or some weird pattern. So it's really cool. It does crazy stuff to the head. Um, the lavender morph, that's something I really want to be producing. Uh, like a lot of lavender, stable, snows, just a regular exanthic. Um, that's kind of, that's kind of my focus right now. That's the, those are the ingredients I'm working with. I'm hoping within like the, you know, like four to eight or nine pairs I might make this year. Like I'll be able to produce some future males to throw at like some, you know, what, what, what are some decent females I have that may be proven for other genes in the future. So I got a condo right now. That's poshet lavender, poshet albino, um, poshet hypo. So I don't have the right snake, but if I had something that was het for all those or visual for all those, I could be like, breed it and instantly know like, whether you got, you know, might have a powerhouse snake, but the, the underlying thing, it's still a nice condo. It'll make some nice kind of really pronounced. Um, that's my weird thing. My other species, I've not been so like shotgun effect with them. Like they was hognose. I just fell in love with them. And I kind of like, just like wanted all the, all the stuff to make all the morphs. And then after kind of getting burnt, not burnt out on that, but just realizing, you know, the shortcomings of that, you know, approach um, being a little more like the bull snakes were almost like a little more uh, second uh, chance of, you know, like approach to trying a little more decisive. Um, yeah. You, you learn yeah. from all the mistakes you made making your first collection or choosing your, yeah. your projects and stuff like that. And you kind of, and not back. even from, not even from really actually breeding many of them, just buying what you had and raising it up and realizing like, Oh, like I kind of kind of got more of exactly what I was looking for. 
and then I'd be good. And now instead of like trying to make some babies, to hope to make some babies that will then get you what you want to make. So what did you do as far? Well, we should probably complete the, the hog nose part. Yeah. I, yeah. Won't, I won't get us off topic. So I have uh, no idea what time it is. So females, females are laying eggs. And uh, what do you do with those eggs? How do you incubate them? Okay. So it seems like very like standard colubrid egg incubation. Um, I've got, I have two incubators now. One someone kind of gave to me because I bought some racks, but another one is a decently sized mini fridge with some heat tape, Herbstat, thermostat. Um, I put some, uh, you know, like the gel freezer things. Like like a hard, it's like a hard gel freezer pack for you put in your like ice pack your cooler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's called a fucking ice pack. Hell yeah, <laughs> um, hell yeah. Um, so you put those in there, and I feel like that that creates a mass. Like you heat everything to eighty two degrees. That's what I said it to. Yeah, yeah, eighty two degrees. You know, the colubrid temp, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and then, you know, so when you put open your door and stuff, if you're in a room that's like a drastically different temperature, I feel like having some, uh, you know, like that liquid freezer pack mass, you know, will kind of uh, kick the not, you know, like not force the heat tape to kick back on and ramp back up because you had it open for two minutes. Now, I've definitely learned like keeping something in a similar temperature room, like an incubator to temp you want is really smart, really. Sm it's so smart. Oh my God. That's like the smartest thing ever. Cause if you have like a 60 degree room and you put an incubator in it, it's like the spike it's going to make, is going to be a little more extreme. And it's just going to like, like you're going to feel like you want to set a stopwatch. Like when you open the incubator, like dress park style, you know, like when you guys steal the embryos, you're going <laughs> to see that. I don't know if you read the book, they talk about how there's a dip in the temperature in the cryo room. Okay. And how that's like a clue to that, like Nedry got it and fucked everything up. The book is so much better. Y'all are locked up in your you're, houses. You're, you're that read guy. the book. Uh, I've I read that book like probably like ten or twelve times, um, and I don't even read it most of the time. I listen to it on audiobook. Ah, uh, yeah, oh, so good. Like do a road trip, just listen to Jurassic Park for like sixteen hours. So good. I'm legit gonna do that now. By the way. Listen to why you clean snakes and stuff. It is such a spookier, such a spookier, chilling uh, story than the movie. The movie's great. I saw it when I was six. It made some irreparable damage to my mind in a cool way. You know, like I guess they got me into like reptiles and stuff. Uh, but uh, you know, the the books are even further enriching. But I mean, how how cool of a concept is it? I mean, and also. Kind of, we could see it happening in a sense in our time, as far as uh, you know. There's all these talks of like bringing back a woolly mammoth or something like that. Like it's totally possible. Yeah, dude, I saw some TED talk about Jack Montana or Jack O'Hara. What who's that dinosaur Jack dude? What? Yeah, yeah, Jack O'Hara, Jack Herrera. That's like the one weed strain. Um, Jack Montana talking about how we're gonna like on TED talks talking about how we're gonna have a dino chicken in five years, and that was in 2008. So like, bro, they made a fucking movie about this, dude. Yeah, yeah. Like, dude, where's my dino chicken? It should be here. It should be real. It should be like, you know, infiltrating Florida as we speak. <laughs> it's probably in Florida. You just, you just don't know about it yet. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> shit, man. We just got into Jurassic Park after talking about... Uh, Still relevant. Dude, at least we're not talking about cigars. <laughs> oh, snap. 
Boom. That's a shot fired. I'm not interested in cigars. I love that other podcast. I listen to it a lot. I really appreciate everything they do. But I'm not interested in cigars. Justin was in the chat just Boom. I don't know where he's at. Where he's at right <laughs> oh, now. Yeah. That's Go cool. Ahead. I mean, that's like they just I don't it does like does not compute. Like there's a glitch in the matrix. I was, I'm like, what? I was like, cigars? why are you guys why you guys like, like I, I, I smoke weed. Does this count if I cover my mouth? Like I smoke weed. Like that's cool. Though. Yeah, like it does, people can't does, hear you. It does stuff. It yeah. does stuff. It protects you at least from the law. That's that's what I know. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, back on track. Right? So when they hatch out, how do you get them to feed? So when Mike, dude, I had a bad year last year. I I actually bought some adult females from somebody who was like seemed very honest, like very for, forthright with me. They had kind of raised them and did a little breeding and kind of were just moving. And, you know, I was like, ah, whatever, not to do it. So that was this really great deal. Snag like five adult females. Every single one of them got egg bound, you know, and they all laid slugs. One of them I had to take to the vet. Everything was okay though, but it was, holy shit. Is that a good way to learn um, the hard way that you should probably just buy a baby and raise it up, you know? And, there may even be arguably like if these snakes were past like two or three years, like they're four or five years old, never bred. I don't know. You hear like nonsense. Maybe it's real sense about they didn't, they didn't lay early enough. They didn't develop muscles to lay. They're not going to be successful. I don't know. That's, that's a thing I've heard. Um, the only snake that did uh, lay fertile eggs was the other snake I got from the breeder that I raised from a baby. Mm. Um, she laid 12 eggs. I like opened the dry, I didn't even know she was like grabbing. I was like, holy shit. Like she was actually like kind of playing dead on top of them, which is really weird. It's just upside down on top of them. I'm like, oh my God, the snake is dead. I'm like, no, it's fine. It just laid a bunch of awesome eggs. Nice. So put them in there. What is it? Like the, like two months or whatever, whatever, whatever you can Google it. It's that 80 day. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> You know, they, they popped out. I was like working in uh, Richmond at the time, which sucked because it was like the my first clutch of snake eggs ever hatching and my friend that was like watching my place. I was going to say, like, it's kind of cool. I mean, but I guess it, eggs it was cool being down there, but it's stressful because I'm like, dude, the one clutch then slug is hatching right now. I can't like watch them or hang out. Like my roommate, my, my friend watching the house is like sending me like the blurriest photos of them like possible. Of course, you know, and it, it's just like, okay, cool, whatever. It all worked out. Dude, it's amazing. I had eight, eight males, four females. Every one of the males ate first attempt. None of the females ate. Um, and those are like, you're like, I'm waiting to, to hold back females because I'm sure you're trying to build yeah. a base for your collection. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, so there's like an Arctic albino female. She actually at first, she's like the most bangingest one. Um, there's a Arctic female. She needed a little bit of scenting. Um, what worked for me this time, it seems like I've heard from other readers, it's like each year it might be a different, could be a different set you find yourself having luck with. Maybe that's superstition or whatever, but you know. Uh, and what it was like tuna or salmon got all of them to get to go. Um, uh, some of the females, like three quarters of the females got started really good. One of them took forever. One of them actually, like, I think I got her to eat like pieces of salmon instead of a pinky and then actually ate some salmon. 
Um, but all in all, it worked. It's weird. Like you do just kind of got to stick with it. And some of them, some of them don't just, you know, pick up and run. But once you get them started, they seem to like really get it, which is weird because I would think part of me is thinking, it's like, man, you don't want to like hold back or keep, or like, you know, some people call a bunch of animals that won't eat, you know? So there's like a weird kind of interesting. Cause they do, they do come back with inventions. But at the same time, I'm not I'm not trying to make snakes that don't eat. Like I, I want that people are trying to make all the morphs and stuff, but like I definitely want to like you know selectively breed more for uh diet and in size. You know, I've one one of my hognos is pretty fucking runted. She's a female, she might breed, but like like I feel like wouldn't it take a while to kind of straighten that out? Breed them to like healthier, better males when you could just get a female of that morph that's nicer yeah i think that that's what that's what's come home to me because i'm finally getting to those generations where it counts in which like i'm really i'm realizing that you know i had a tricky baby that had tricky babies why don't we not not mess with tricky no matter how nice they are no matter how many mutations they have in them just yeah man just stick with the animals that are big robust and like to eat i mean that's that's where i'm focusing more so yeah and maybe you got if you had some problem feeder babies or females or whatever and they're doing good now it's like maybe like that's still it's you know it's still just a good pet even though it's a female like it's good now but it might not you might not want to breed it and make some babies that are difficult or whatever so it's someone's pet now right um yeah yeah it's it, it's a you know it's interesting you have a lot more experience with me though for sure so i i've definitely listening to your podcast has helped a lot because I get all these different, your experience kind of reflected against all these other people who you interview that are different stages of doing this stuff. So, you know, it's the closest thing to like actually knowing like, or having friends of people that breed reptiles or reptile breeders. You're just not actually like in the conversation, but I'm, you know, there's, there's some nuggets in there and like stuff you said, like you have, pairs you put together where like for some reason this pair makes all babies that don't want to eat but like you pair it with like you change the pair and it like it, it's good yeah like i know yeah at this point i know what animals create uh you know animals that are kind of a pain in the ass to get going but i think it's it's i think it's important as far as uh i get to talk to so many people i'm lucky that i get to talk to so many people and i get to learn things from people who are way better at this than i am and have way more experience and i think that's something that also you have done you've actually like gone out and reached out to a bunch of people and uh, i think yeah. that's important too yeah man cuz it's it i don't know i it it becomes kind of clear who knows you know has the answers to your questions and it's not you know i live in the city most of the people i know i'm friends with down here they're like in bands or like do or artists or just do some other random thing you know there's like kind of normal ass people and um some like have never even seen a snake but they just know me from some other thing i do because i've just lived in the city forever so, uh, you know, it's like I don't have any options to maybe find some like mediocre rando reptile friends in the city that are like have two ball pythons or something. But I'd rather just like get become friends with Garrett and be like, hey, dude, can I like come over for like three days and I'll like help you like 
improve your display racks or whatever and you can like give me some snake credit and like in the in the in the midst of all that i get to like see what a pro snake breeders collection actually looks like in real life and what it's all about and what you're doing and and that that was really cool for sure I would say don't ever, yeah, don't ever hesitate to reach out to someone and try to help them out in exchange for knowledge. Like I did that with uh, Vending Tinley. I, I vended with, with Sean Bradley yeah. and I was like, yeah. hey man, can I go and help you out? And he allowed me to and I learned a lot of things about like the actual money that people vendors make at that show, kind of how to vend that show, how to set everything up. And like, if someone asked me, hey man, can I come over for a weekend and I'll clean your snakes? And then we like, yeah, bro, of course. Like that would be amazing. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think it's, you might as well just pick the people you actually want to get involved with, you know, like Garrett's a pretty approachable dude. Like I know he's, you know, fielding calls constantly and doing social networking, whatever marketing thingies and, uh, you know, whatever. He's got like a ton of kids. The dude's patient, right? <laughs> like, I figured like he doesn't call me back or whatever. It's because like whatever. So he has. I, I, when I was hanging out with him, it was funny though because he would tell me I thought I was kind of bad just because I have a lot of snake questions related to reticulated pythons and keeping them and breeding. They're all like re- re- relevant. But he says like dudes that fall a snake from once to like call him up and be like, hey man, what's up? Like, what are you doing? Like, you want to talk? What's going on with you? Like, like. You know, dude, I got some, I got work to do. Like, I, I like, I don't, I don't call friends to randomly talk to them, maybe because I'm a dude, but like, no, you know I, what I mean? Like, it, it's like, there has to be like some sort of guided, some, at least like, at least lie and say there's some real reason you want to talk to them. You know, like, hey, man, I was like, yeah, so like, I want to buy a snake from you. Like, what, what, uh, you know, whatever. But it, it, I think that's kind of interesting that, uh, you know, you got to deal with that and, you know, you need a lot of patience and stuff to, you know, it's one thing to talk, have constructive conversations, but you can just spend a lot of time just like, you know, rambling on and on. I think it's as far as uh, reaching out to other people, it's super important to just keep in mind. I mean, the fact that at least as a breeder myself, it's like uh, if someone's buying from me, that means that we're kind of starting this like relationship in a way, like some yeah. type of weird friendship bond that if you end up wanting to do what I do, like I will help you out because you have supported me in the past. And I think that that's super important to know as yes. a buyer. So it's like you, I mean, you're probably going to buy, you're going to buy from the guy from, um, what was it? Fathom hogs. Fathom and you're hogs gonna, in Ohio. Yeah. And you're going to buy from Garrett from reach out reptiles. It's like, yeah. but you're, you're making a cognizant decision to begin that relationship because you trust those individuals. Yeah. And I learned, I mean, I learned too. It's like when you keep going back to the same dudes, like you might come to that snake show to buy that one snake from them. And you might be like, Hey dude, that thing's pretty cool too. Like, can I buy that? And they'll be like, no, but you can have it. You know, like I'm not, I'm not saying don't, don't fucking ask people for free shit. But, you know, those guys, the people that produce a lot of snakes, they produce a lot of snakes. And at some point, you have a lot of stock that you don't want to lower your prices, but you will give some stuff away to friends and support you. You know, I, I think that's really cool. Like, don't lower the price on that morph 
give a couple of those babies away to a friend that bought some stuff from you. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I mean, man, friends, friends is super, it's super important to be friends with people as far as uh, you get on lists, you get random, you get random opportunities, you know, people reach out to you with, they, they may know your collection and then they're like, Hey man, I kind of have this male or this female, Uh, you know, things may line up and then all of a sudden you have some type of uh, some pairing or some, something going on that you wouldn't have had an opportunity to before if you were just a dude in your basement alone. And and you're just talking to them and they might be mentioning some like weirdo thing they have in the corner and you're like, Oh, I'm really interested in that. Can you sell me that thing? They're like, Oh oh, yeah, sure. Whatever. Yeah. It ends up being some like awesome snake in your collection. Uh, It, yeah, it's, there's a lot of pluses to it and they remember, they remember the stuff they sold you. So they're like, Hey man, I know, I know what projects you're into. Like I know, like Garrett knows that next year I'm ready for a mail. He knows that. That's like the conversation. It's mm-hmm. like, yeah, man, I keep buying these stream mills from you, but you know, you know, I'm gonna buy that mail from you. Like, you've got to figure out like the coolest thing you can make for me that I can afford. You know? <laughs> yeah, I think all. that that's also a thing. It's like I know I know what I've sold customers in the past. So if I come up with something and listen, corn snake hats don't really matter to most people, but I can say like, okay. hey, man. I know, I know that what I have and what I sold you last year, if that goes together, that will produce like world's first animals. So here, take this mail because no one's going to give me like decent money for it. And I think it's worth decent money. So I would rather give it to them so that they have a positive experience. And then we yeah. all, you know, create amazing snakes. Another thing I've seen that is another approach that still, you know, it seems valid is like, you know, people are buying pet snakes or they're buying breeder snakes. And I'll see like, Western hog noses, they might be sold as normals, like 150 bucks or something. They might either be pos hat or even hat for something crazy, but it's like a male. And someone's like, well, I can sell this pet male for 150 bucks, but this like pet male, pet stable, or like some morph that's just not like new enough for a hat to be good anymore. You know, yeah. they're like, whatever, just sell it as a pet. Like, it's cool. And that's that was uh, eye opening to me. Um, Definitely thought this. And also definitely got me into wanting to like grill people more on like, hey man, so what kind of like mystery bag stuff do you have that you can't sell for a lot of money, but you can sell to me for a little more than you would sell a normal for? That is a good hack. And so <laughs> because like that, hacks, man. that's like the truest thing, because I I honestly um sometimes to protect my projects, I'll go, I'll give like uh well, I'll sell like three babies to the pet store down the street. And yeah. it's like, yeah, I sold them normal corn snakes, but they, they have crazy hats or something like right. that. Right. And it's like, no one's going to like, like take it, you know, take advantage of it because it's redefined as a pet and not like some breeding potential kind of thing. And yeah, I mean, no, it's a move. I, well, I don't know. I don't think you can really just like hammer every breeder, you know, with that move. No, no. <laughs> I mean, know? yeah, it goes like, back I, to the like building rapport and being friends I, with. Them. Yeah, I had like a frank conversation with him. I mean, with John, I like, I mean, I bought like a, like seven or eight snakes last year, like, and they were just all females, and it added up to pretty big, you know, pretty good, decent price or whatever. So, you know, within that, it, it is like, you know, throw me some mystery stuff, you know. Um, let's talk. I, so I'm gonna move this forward, dude. Because we're talking about breeders. You interview me, okay? This is how it works. I'm interviewing now. We're going to flip it. (laughs) Um, Good breeders. We talked about like Garrett, 
and John and you know all those other people too. Like Dan E B, I haven't bought a snake from him, but I want to. He just like never has what the snake I'm looking for or the stuff he has, which is like too too nice and therefore too expensive. Um, that's you know cool for all that. So these two people I bought uh, bull snakes from, right? Um, one of them is this woman. Um, oh Jesus! All right, let's start with the other woman because I can't remember her name. Uh, Jennifer Joseph. I don't know who she is. She's on Facebook. I don't think she has like, there's so many like cool breeders. They don't really like do the social media thing. Cause they're like what I'm assuming are, you know, they're in their fifties or sixties and they like, I think she lives in California or something. I don't know, but she has like, th- like every, if you look on any bull snake group on Facebook, anyone posts bull snake and you're like, Oh my God, that's amazing. Came from gender for Joseph. Boom. Like she's got, she's got everything. Her snakes are great. Um, she was like the one there's been like kind of talk about bull snakes with stuff. Like you see some cool clutch of them online and you're like, Oh cool. I want to get into bull snakes. I want to buy one of those. And you're like reply. And it's like, Oh, those were all sold a month ago. I was just showing you what you can't buy. Cause <laughs> you know, they just, they apparently they fly off the shelves or whatever. So I like waited with her for like a year, man. Like I almost bought a hold back nail and I was like, eh, I'm not like, I got too much stuff going on, but I want to buy a bunch of babies and this and with that. I have a, I have a ghost female. I have a ghost snow female. Um, I have a, a ivory male, which is a hypo white-sided male. Um, a female Trumbauer hypo. Uh, then I got, well, I mean, I got a lot of stuff in it. A, a pair of like really outcrossed het Stillwater pair. They're like, out, she said they're outcrossed by like four or five generations or something. Mm-hmm. Um, so I got a lot of like interesting things going in there and she was awesome. So she's good. Jesus Christ. I wish I could remember. She's from, uh, Vegas. She lives in Vegas. She does a lot of like, yeah, she does a lot of like red. She works heavily in reds, hyper reds, red phase. I'm not going to get into like locality, like Kingsville red, whatever. Like as far as localities are cool and I'm into those, but I can't. I don't have documentation for any of that. So I will, I call my things generically a color phase, you know, mm-hmm. there's a red bull, really red. It's definitely redder than that other one. I'm going to breed it to this other red one. Probably be pretty red, you know, but I'm not going to be like, yeah, Kingsville red, crumbly red line, whatever. Um, so she's, I got another, I got a red white side from them. I got a pair of hypo reds. Um, what is a red white side? I don't even think I've ever seen one of those. Uh, here, I'll pull her out. She's just a little more pinker. You know, that white area becomes more pink. Um, the red, you know, so if we're talking about what ontogenetic change, is that the word? Mm-hmm. The, the bull snakes seem to definitely, um, I guess like, you know, like corn snakes, every time they shed out, they, they get a little more into their, you know, their ultimate look or whatever. This one just fed. She just shed too. I mean, she's like a little pink, you know, like, I don't know if you can tell. But I'm sure it's, it's difficult because obviously to get the white sided, you need to breed out from the red line and then you probably got to breed it back in and then you're working with a recessive and it's pretty tough. Right. And and she really focuses on just red, uh, just plain kind of reds and hyper reds. And the white side is kind of something within her lines that she hatches out very few of. So I was like, all right, man, I want that, like, I want that morph one, man. I want the morphs, like, localities and stuff are cool, but there's certain morphs with bull snakes that I'm just kind of infatuated with. 
and that just the fact they have a lot of black they can be like pretty high contrast um the white sided stuff is cool the patternless stuff is cool uh unlike corn snakes you know they have like a really awesome exanthic not like a uh you know an anery honestly one thing that like kind of gripes me about corn snakes is like all the yellow and the anery it's like y'all want a black and white snake you a black and white one so the the anery uh, or uh exanthic bulls and ghost bulls are really awesome they're like definitely black and white not really like even brown on them sick yeah a lot do a lot of those brown out the exanthics so i only have a ghost i have a ghost and i have a snow ghost which rolls so, with that what's a ghost is it is there anery hypo oh, like yeah. hypo yeah so i man i've been listening to a lot of podcasts i don't know if this one covered it uh there's two strains of hypo in bull snakes there's two strains of exanthic what i would can you hear my cat like screaming yeah. in the background yeah. she's like just in the other room on top of the incubator meowing at the door she's like 20 years old she's really she's really um she's what's giant. the word she's small dude she's a little she's uh she's like 20 years old what's that word she's uh she's like demented she- <laughs> <laughs> she's like demented or whatever like uh dementia she got dementia yeah yeah not exactly demented but uh <laughs> she's senile. demented too she's a little senile cat yeah Alrighty. um okay two types of example two type of hypo from my from what i am learning about these it seems like maybe when with the assumed the assumed lines like when someone's like oh yeah i got an exanthic they te- typically mean like the balum exanthic which i think is after a dude's name that found it and when they talk about hypo they're probably talking about uh trumbrower 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 hypo which is like you know the craig 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 trumbrower um, there's also Stillwater Hypo, which is like named after an area, not a person. And then Miami Exanthic, which is like, it's like Miami County somewhere in like the Midwest. It's not like Miami, Florida. Uh, so a ghost is a Balam Exanthic from Bauer Hypo. So does it have can- to be that? Uh, no, or you can make a ghost with the other two. You can make a ghost with the other two, and Jennifer just has one, and I'm trying to buy one of them because they're awesome. Uh, so it just looks different. It's just like it's just a different like flavor. Two different different hypo, different exanthic, and it it it's a uh, similar I'm effect, not, a little bit different. Like yeah, it's like they're you know like by definition like kind of they, the genes do the same thing. It's like it takes the yellow out for exanthic and the hypo reduces the uh you know the black and stuff but they do it to, it seems like it's different qualities and honestly this is something i don't have experience with this is things i'm i'm reading you know i haven't like raised the different types or anything this is just what i'm what i'm trying to learn as someone who hopes to like work with these lines and not mix them all the fuck up you know what i'm saying like because that thing i'm not i mean it would maybe be cool to have like a double ghost and it's I'm sure that- I'm sure that's like yeah. kind of frowned upon to have both hypos together because yeah. there's kind of like no reason to it, I suppose. I mean, I think you can just do it. Like if you're doing visual stuff and then you're not getting pause hats, you at least can uh, account for it. You know, like you're not just like 
like poisoning the well. It's like I got ten lines of albinos and my corn snakes. Whatever. You know, like yeah, what do you do with that? Really know uh the person who gets it, they may pop out a hypo and then you don't really know what line it is. You don't really know what to do with it. And that's Yeah, the- dude, I got some I got some anery what are they? I got some anery blood reds. And I think one of them has like dilute or something. Some other morph. I don't even know what the morph is, but it's like looks so much different than the other one that I think is a sibling. Um, and it's like, cool. I think I'm got more than a couple genes working on in here, but uh, we'll find out maybe if I just produce some, you know, get a more variety in the babies and I can kind of like determine some sort of difference. Yeah. Corns are weird, man. You'll always hatch out something that seems either unexpected or you're like, don't know exactly how to explain it. Like, is it this morph? Is it like a, some type of enhancer that's making it look a little bit different? There's, there's too many variables. Yeah, man, I'll tell you what, like that stuff, corns were something there were a bunch of morphs was there that there were a bunch of morphs in when I was a kid. You know, when I was a kid, there were a lot of corn morphs still. But now it's like, you know, it was like a ball python kind of stuff. Like it is a lot of, a lot of subtle morphs out there, to say the mm-hmm. least. Yeah, even, you know, eventually it gets into this territory of like, is this real? Is this not real? Is this real? <laughs> like, yeah, right. or is it a pre-existing morph? I mean, there's plenty of ball python morphs that kind of reinvented themselves mm, over the years. Yeah. And that's why I try to stay very targeted with the corn snakes. Um, I think my taste for a lot of morphs and stuff are combos of like weird tastes and aspirations as a kid, but also even like, you know, being like a young adult or something when I had like a couple snakes and stuff too. Um, like I remember the thing that wanted me to get into super dwarfs was kind of reading about them when I was like 19, 20 and just like kind of fantasizing about it. Cause I wasn't like super trying to get into all that. And I was like, man, it'd be so cool to have reticulated python. It's only eight feet. You know, and then later, you know, time passes and you're like, okay, I, this, this caught on. But, uh, you know, back to the corn snakes, you know, there's definitely things that, kind of just stick with you as a kid, you know, like that classic corn snake look, just a really nice, like normal kind of remember seeing one of those, a baby in a pet store when I was like five or six years old and it was so small and I was like, just so beautiful and bright. And well, I know the babies are a little darker, but still like that rich, you know, that really deep mm-hmm. red. I'm just being like, man, that's like, that's really something. So half, of, you know, half of the corns I have, I have like 2.4 corns, you know, and like two trios. And half of those are, are like Okatees. Because mm-hmm. I'm like, I want to go like real good, like classic, just classic ass corn snake, man. This I mean, nice really, one. it doesn't get much better than that. I mean, everyone agrees. Yeah. Even you go to like some random breeder's house, he has a pair of Okatee corns. And they're great because they're so unassuming when they're babies. Like they, I was amazed. I was like, yeah, cool. I'm getting some Okatees. These like little ass dark, normal looking snakes, I guess are Okatees. Cool. And then they shed and they shed and they shed. And it's like, dude, you were like on fire. Like the, the yellows and the oranges and the, and the reds and stuff, like in, in all the black, like, like the one male, the male I have, his whole tail's black. Every time he sheds, it's like some, some red disappears. Mm-hmm. So cool. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, just the amount of line breeding that's gone into those is incredible. So what are you, um, as far as super dwarfs, I mean, what is going okay. on? How'd you kind We're of get in there? Those? Yeah. So it's like the experience thus far, yeah, 
it's not like corn snakes or ball pythons or anything where there's this huge swath of choices. You kind of get to like, you know, oh, I want one of these, I want one of this, one of this. A lot of them, it involves me talking to Garrett, thinking I want something or thinking something I want is available. And then like him having talked me into a totally different snake. But it's not, you know, I, I say talked into, but it's more like, hey, dude, here's the reality. Guess what? You don't have 5,000 bucks. Also, guess what? You know, I know you saw this picture on Instagram that I posted, but that's, I only need one of those. Right. Like, even though it's, maybe that's common in mainland, but it's not common in super dorsal yet. I only got one. So if you want to go that route, you might want to like wait a year, or you might want to get this instead or whatever. So where I'm, where I'm going out with this is I have, um, I've got a 20, what is it? 2018. I've got a two-year-old super dwarf. She's like 50% super dwarf, 12% Gampea, which is the other dwarf island. Um, she is a tiger. She's like, it was a split clutch with dads. So I kind of got, actually got a little discount on Snake because it it's kind of, it's like a probable hit. It's probable hit snow. Could be hit anery, could be hit albino. Regardless, it'll make some 60, you know, some 50% super doors. If I have a male, that's at least 50%. Um, I'm trying, what I'm also liking about that is I'm thinking that maybe even you don't need that high of percentage to have a snake that is manageable. Like you could, you could possibly have a 50% super dwarf that doesn't need to eat rabbits. And I feel like that's a pretty good goal. I feel like for me, a goal is like not having a snake. You need someone to help you handle, you know? So if it says un under 10 feet, under eight feet, you know, that, Hey, guess what? I'm in the category where I no longer, I don't need to find some random dude. I can call to help me clean cages or whatever. That's such a, um, yeah, it's a fine distinction. 12 or like 10 feet, 16 feet, 20 feet. feet. I yeah. Mean, like, yeah. There's a big difference between all those, uh, 10, eight to 10 feet is a pretty manageable snake at the end of the day. I think when you're talking about a lean snake, like a retic, it's not, it's not a boa or a berm or, or something. Um, so yeah, the, uh, so I've got a, I currently have one other female that's, I have three, one's like some unknown, unknown dwarf normal. That's just, she's just absolutely beautiful. I have no, I don't have information on her to breed her, but she's, she's a few years old and she's eight feet long. So do with that what you will. Uh, aside from her, I have this really awesome lavender albino that I got from Garrett, 50% super dwarf. It was actually like 25% Kalatoa. 25% Kayade, Kayudi, Kayuadi, Kayawadi, one of those. Yeah, sure. And then like 12.5% Jampeya. So it's got like all this like locality business mixed into it. And it's like from his like snow super dwarf male, he calls the white diamond. That's, uh, you know, just basically like something he got. Man, I'm like, all this is like, I don't know if this is like, this is like gossip or whatever, but it's like I talked to these people and like he told me he saw this snake at prehistoric pets like when he worked there or whatever. And he like later like bought the snake because he's like, this is the male I want to like make the super dwarf nose from or, you know, a good amount of what he makes, you know? So it's cool. I have like actually this like kind of line of, you know, super dwarf that just have, they just have really pretty patterns. That's what it's like. He throws crazy patterns. It's a lavender albino. It's got that much percentage in it. It's uh, I don't know. Maybe, no, it's definitely het snow. I think it's definitely het anery. Um, and I'm buying a 75% super dwarf pause het snow from him. Oh, damn. Like now. So getting <laughs> higher up, still going for the pause set. I want, I would love a real hat, but all of a sudden that like adds a thousand dollars to it. And I'm just like, oh, yeah. dude, 
So if I get if I get now where I'm leaning, I wanted to just get a, like a snow mail or like a motley snow mail or something, so I can kind of just get all the snow stuff pumped out. But he's kind of talked me into like getting maybe like a motley golden child mail that could be you know like paused hat for some of those too. So because I'm really I really love that all black all black super iridescent you know mm -hmm. snake and that's what those guys are. Um, it's co. So why can't uh, I remember that? <laughs> it's not codominant. It's not codependent. Wait, what do you? It's uh, like it's incomplete dominant. Jesus, sorry, my brain's like kind of broken. Um, it's incomplete dominant. So it's like he can I, he make a bunch of motley golden childs with all the females I have, and then maybe some anries, and maybe some snows will pop out, or some albinos, maybe some snows will pop out, and then maybe from there I can replace the male with like a snow and I still have these snow compatible females, you know? So that's really what I'm, I'm working with on a practical level. You, if I'm like some asshole with just like a ton of money and I want to do every, you know, thing possible, I want to make super dwarf pie retakes, dude. Mm -hmm. I want like a motley pie, like high I'm white. Sure on top of that, right? Is that happening? Is he? I call him like every six months about it. And he just like always has like the most discouraging news. You know, he's like, no one's breeding them. That's a 10 year project. Like, it seems that it seems like there's a pretty precarious or like uh, fingers crossed situation when you're breeding like a morph mainland to a pure super dwarf. Mm. You know, you have that like size difference. You have that like they're just the super dwarfs are just it seems like they're maybe like just weirder. So yeah, I'm getting you go with a male super dwarf to a female mainland with that. How was that how you would? No, 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 no. Oh, well, so all, all my females are, you know, they're like at least 50 percent super dwarf. But the like if you're I would trying get. to get the, the morphs into super dwarfs, like the original pairings. No, so you would do so to get it original is you want a super dwarf female and you want a mainland male with as many genes as possible in it. Mm. And then you get, say you have a Motley Golden Child Snow male. That doesn't even add up because like I know like Anary comes from a dwarf thing. Let's put that aside though. Let's put that aside. So you got a Motley Golden Child Snow, you breed that to like a 100% Superdorf female, you know, 50% Superdorf babies that are het snow. Some of them might be Motley, some of them might be Golden Childs, some of them might be Motley Golden Childs. Yeah. And then you just keep doing that back and forth. I mean, Garrett does a way better job at explaining this, uh, but it's- So you uh, gotta pretty, keep on- just... So shit, you get, you get the hats and then, what do you do with them? Because you don't want to make like you don't want to make terrible like fifty percent hats or anything weird. Um, you want yeah. So well, I mean, it's it, what where I am finding myself is finding myself with like fifty like fifty percent super dwarf. Now that's like the blood like the genetic content, not like not pause hat, but you know fifty percent super dwarf. That's het for something bred. You know, it's it's just head to head breeding. It's a lot but at of like fifty percent head to head. But you try to find at least you know a fifty percent super dwarf uh, to make sure. Because yeah, they, I don't. I don't want to go lower than fifty percent because that actually technically makes it not a super dwarf. Also, according according to people, <laughs> made up shit. <laughs> this percentage is super dwarf. This is not this weird arbitrary name that we put on things. Well, but I think of it as half. 
if it has less than half of the genetic material, I don't think you can do it. That, that, that seems like a really good cutoff point, um, especially when you could probably have a 50% that gets bigger than you want it to be. You know, if it just, like, I'd imagine if you have to 50% clutch, some of those dudes are going to get bigger. Some of them might be smaller, you know, so that's maybe where the selective stuff comes in. But I'm, I'm still just a dude with a couple of them raising them up, so I can't speak with authority. Yeah, and they're super active. I mean, you can see behind dude, you. They always cruising like that, dude. I think, but I think the problem is too is like some, you know, these don't get fed weekly like the other guys. I fed everyone a day, and I think they're just like, oh, like they just lose it, and it, I, I, it stresses me out, man. I like, I hate seeing them like pushed and stuff. The lower one doesn't really push. This one in the middle, like almost. I made the mistake of buying the one snake that like out of the clutch that hadn't really shed perfectly and had a little rub on its nose. And I was like, oh, cool. I, 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 in, I had realized that I kind of bought a problem child. You know what I mean? Like you definitely like buy, you know, if someone sends you a picture of a bunch of snakes and like one of them's different because it's like, oh, this one like shed late or this one like got a little rub or something. Don't buy that snake. Yes. <laughs> don't buy that one. That's what, I just thought she was really pretty and I liked her, like how she looked more. And she's doing pretty good, but it was definitely like a lesson learned. Like I want, I, I definitely wouldn't like if I have an option, like of Garrett's got a bunch of snakes and I'm buying one from him. I'm like, dude, so I'm looking at these three snakes, which one of these like seems more content to you? I want that one, you know, cause that's ultimately going to be like less stress, like dealing with something that's pushing or whatever. Yeah. I mean, I guess that was kind of the, the downside of them at, at one point, right? Like people were pretty concerned that they were always pushing and they're just constant pushers. That seems to be my biggest issue, issue with a man. Definitely. I've given them bigger enclosures. I don't know if it's a temperature. It seems, I, I, I want to say in my experience, it seems like it's really easy to get their low end temperature too high. You know, it seems like that seems definitely for one, a one definitely like legit reason they push is it's like, oh, it's too hot. They're panicking. They want to be some cooler. Like it's only might be even low 70s in the room, but the far end of the enclosure is seven, you know, 75, 76, eight or something. And that's just like they're maybe it's because they're not in like food processing mode, you know, so they're like, hey, man, I want like that cold spot. So I don't want to burn fat up or whatever. They're also just like more active and more intelligent, man. They might be bored. It's like possible. Um, yeah, I guess. I don't know. I guess you don't want to get into too much in the weeds on like enrichment. But I mean, yeah, I mean, these are semi-arboreal yeah. snakes and, you know, they're probably pretty active and they're probably out there catching bats and doing all types of funky stuff. So I try to give them time outside the cage. Yeah, I try to let, like, they're the only ones that really roam around this room. Nothing else really needs to or wants to, you know, it's like, just can handle it in my hand, whatever, put it in a tub. I don't like throw them in a bin to clean the cage and let them roam around and, like, just fuck everything up for 30 minutes while I, like, try That's to keep my cat. Like, yeah. like, try to keep the cat, like, from, like, getting in. The cat's, like, crying, and I gotta, like, open the door and, like, kick her out of the way and, like, clean the water bowl and, like, come in. And then I'm, like, upstairs, I'm, like, oh, I need a break. And I don't, like, come downstairs. It'll be, like, a retake walk, like, crawling around my floor. I was, like, oh, yeah, I did leave that open, didn't I? It's, like, whatever. <laughs> it's cool. I mean, try to, try to keep, you know, like, I get, I stress over a bunch of dumb shit, but I'm lucky that there's some that I don't. So I'm just going to roll with it. Yeah. Uh, how far off are you on, on breeding those guys? 
So I think I think 2022. So what did you say? Three years uh, is one of them. So you're looking gonna, for one of them's two years. I'm going to wait till they're at least four years to breed them. Um, yeah, so I'll have it'll be very gradual. It'll be like 2022. I'll have one female. 2023, I'll have two females. 2024, I'll have three females. And then hopefully some holdbacks that are being raised up. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's super important as far as, I mean, obviously a lot of your, your collection, like you mentioned before, when you had those hognos, I mean, you kept a lot of them back. So what's kind of your method of keeping babies back and kind of building projects out that way? Man, I'm like too, I'm too green to have a method, man. By I, uh, I did definitely aired this time when I had some baby leopard geckos, like maybe like almost two dozen, like, like 20 baby leopard geckos and a dozen hog nose. I sold very few of them. I was honestly just like, I know I don't have enough stuff for like a table. I can do a show. I can kind of sell some stuff. Yeah, sure. I could like maybe sell some stuff online. You know, I, I still kind of need to, you know, I need to, there's a good chance it's quarantine. Like I need to like, figure all that stuff out um but at the end of the day it's like man i if it comes down, it's just easier to keep cleaning them and feeding them than to maybe find some person who might be a pain in the ass to sell them to like if you're just trying to unload it like i don't uh cheap customers are the biggest pain in the ass customers even if like and they're probably the most ones that are gonna end up you know neglecting or killing some animal that you supposedly care about Mm mm-hmm you know, and I think that's what it is. Like, I, I mean, I was kind of part of going back into it, like having a couple of die as a kid and stuff. It's like, you can't, it can't just be, you know, this thing that you move through where you make, you know, like breed and grow and kill animals all in a whirlwind, you know, like it, it's kind of on me if I have to like hold stuff back and keep it longer. And maybe it might be in a smaller tub because it's like they're in breeder tubs or hold back tubs or whatever. But hey, they're getting fat every day. They're getting supplements. It's not getting sold by somebody who like thinks they're not going to need to buy a thermostat and they're just going to wing it or whatever. So we'll see how that goes once I start producing higher numbers of stuff. But that's, uh, you know, I didn't I produced so few that I could just like fuck it. And I've heard definitely a lot of stuff on podcasts and, and, and things that people talking about how you know, you really should prepare to hold back everything you hatch. Just in case you don't sell it or whatever, like have enough racks for all those babies, like be prepared for some situation. You either want, you want to hang on to them or you just, just not right to unload them. Uh, one thing I did do that helped though, is I gave more than half of those babies to a guy who him and his like girlfriend breed leopard geckos and they do a table and they have a full table and they got like, you know, business cards and they got it all sorted and they ship. So I just consigned them all to them. I was like, dude, just give me half of what you sell them for. Right. Like, I know I'm not like making money hand over fist with this, but I'm probably still making more money than if I like tried to vend myself and I don't have to do it. I just like, I, I gave them all to them and it's like, cool. I no longer have to feed them or take care of them. And, and they, what was really cool is they were into it because I just, I hung on to them so long, long that I had all these like sub adult leopard geckos when like no one had babies, like to sell at shows. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, dude, like in the middle of the summer, or whatever, like, hey, man, you want to buy some of these babies? Like, this is kind of like, oh, that sucks selling these. 
Like, nah, dude, I was going to ask you the same. And then I asked him in like December or something. And they're like, dude, are you serious? Like you have stuff to sell. I'm like, dude, are, really? Like now you do, you want them now. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. Take them. Yeah. Get it's kind it, of man. the beauty of uh, the seasonality of what we do. Um, yeah. And I'm very I'm, shortage. And I'm pretty delayed with my permissions for everything. So I'm hoping at least for my own, my own selfish thing, like I can, have an easier time selling stuff because after all the babies get sold or I'll, you know, be able to wholesale some stuff to someone who has that selling structure kind of like, you know, it put in place that they're into and I can just give them some good shit to sell. I think it's also where you are with the other stuff. I mean, take leopard geckos out of the equation. I mean, those bull snakes, you're working with some really high-end projects. The Hognose, you're working with really high-end projects. Super Dwarfs, pretty much all Super Dwarfs are in pretty high demand right now. Yeah. So it's like, yeah. you shouldn't have much problems going forward with selling, you know, a lot of these high-end morphs. Yes, and um, I feel really good about that. That feel, That is like very kind of, uh, I don't want to say I feel smart, but I feel like there's a good, like, uh, there's a good medium between what, seems to maybe be popular and things that I actually just also like. And I feel like there's a good medium. Like I kind of really just fascinated in the super dwarf stuff. Um, you know, bull snake, bull snakes just kind of like won me over that. The first snake I got was a non feeder bull snake, which is like an oxymoron. I was about to say, yeah. Does that exist? That means then you just had it on like fauna he's, or king snake. He's like, uh, whatever. Fuck it. Like pay for shipping. You can have it. Got it eating. Just totally kicked ass, got huge. And I was like, dude, this snake is awesome. And they, it's cool because they have the same pattern as Hoggos, if you look at them. Very similar, like dorsal. I about that, yeah. Dorsal pattern, really similar. And they have some like similar morphs. I mean, you can get a cool Xanthic Hognose. You can get a cool Xanthic bull snake, albino, snow, ghost. Waiting for that white-sided Hognose. How sick would that be? Yeah, dude, that is, that is another thing. That's like, that's the one thing that seems to be, I guess they got white-sided and king snakes. They got them in rat snakes, but they don't have them in corn snakes, right? No, they have, well, they have pied sideds, which is essentially. That's some other, that's some other stuff that I think is really cool that I want to get into, but that I don't want to call that white sided. That, it's that's just pied, it's baby. That's it's just pied, funny. Baby. It's funny how, you know, pieds and pythons is. Oh, well, yeah. True. In retakes, it comes in a little bit more white sided, I guess. And in berms, it comes in a little weird, but ball pythons it can totally random and yes, yes is, exactly you know, we want to mess with the sides of the snake that's as much white as we want to go as far as uh whether it's pied or white-sided or what do you mean corn snakes or yeah like there's there's no like like a ball python pied like there's nothing are you, like about, are you saying people or the snake itself like the snakes just don't produce that mixture. Like don't yeah produce, yeah especially like a pied-sided corn snake it's really hard to get a really high white one Dude, let's talk about that, man, because I want to see, all right, mix some motley in. I want to see some motley mixed in some pied sided and see if that, like, like you know, takes the blender to it a little bit or whatever. You know what I, I mean? Have a, uh, let's see. What did I breed to that animal? Um, I have an Ultramel Diffuse Tessera mask that is pied, but, like, very so, yeah, Tessera is another, like, yeah, I feel like any pattern changing thing would be important. I'm sorry, I cut you off. No, 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 you're good. Um, so I'm breeding that back to the father. 
Um, I'm not a hundred percent proud of, uh, of that, but I don't really mind at this point. It's just one generation and to see if I can, you know, I don't know what, no one really knows exactly how pied works from my understanding. I mean, people are breeding pieds together, but they're not really putting it in many different morphs. So, uh, yeah. And that's kind of what, what I'm like, something I think about a lot. Like how did the other morphs change it, man? Like how, I mean, we, we've seen we've seen the Pied Ball Python, man. Why isn't there some dude with, like, a basement full of Pied Blood Reds, like, cranking out crazy-looking snakes? Because you know people would buy them. Yeah, yeah, and that's one of the most popular morphs. Uh, I don't know. They're, they're not the best feeders. And Especially. It's oh. Yeah. They're, they have feeding issues. Because I'd even say, man, it's like, dude, that's, like, the ultimate sales pitch right there. It's like. You know how ball pythons are pied, you know, and how actually they're not the best first snake, even though people think best popular means best. They're the most popular snake. They're not the best first snake. Well, now you can have pied corn snake. What's up? Hey, you know? man, Meadows. imagine when that gets down to, you know, 200 yeah. bucks or something. You could sell yeah. 100,000 of those things. I mean, you could sell those all day because they're just, they're amazing and incredible. I'm really curious to see how their distribution of the bug eyedness happens as, as you know, as years go on. Cause I, you know, I did, you know, you saw a few for sale or whatever last year, you know, kind of see them online and, but now I'm seeing more, but I'm also seeing more bug eyed ones and they're for sale. They're not like, you know, like, Hey, it's bug eyed. Don't breed it or whatever, but it's still like, they're selling it for like hundreds of dollars. Yeah. It's like pet only 500 bucks. But then again, yeah. there's are going pet only very cheap and then it's like what is going on what market are we in how are we gonna price things going on uh, in the I future i just want some data i want some data man you know like, I write down how many of them have bug eyes like give me some some percents so i know someone who's produced a good amount of them and they said about 10 percent. but i've mm. seen a good amount out there um i'm gonna produce them this year so we'll see if i get 10 eggs and one of them has bug eyes yeah so it seems like one you you'll get one one per clutch, perhaps. And that might be totally numbers. Wrong people also try to protect their projects. So it's like there, yeah. And there's really also fun. there's also my you know based on nothing, but also my theory of or you know things I hear that are like you know maybe if you did a head to head, you might get less bug eyes than a visual to visual. Yeah, I like know. mine were crossed out the first generation to wild caught. So the the idea that this guy had was we need to make the gene pool bigger and that will kind of from the get go the bug eyed problem, which yeah, I now mean, we, I don't we, think it will, but it may help. We talked about this. We talked about this at a Repticon because we're kind of, I was like talking about like this weird theory of just like having a, uh, doing a head to head breeding being more uh, like sustainable than a visual to visual if there's some sort of like weakness within a morph. Um, and I know, I mean, this, the, it's this woman is like charm city glam cams. I think she's, uh, she's at habit of grace. She does bearded dragons though, too. And she produces like the zero bearded dragon that everyone loves that all white, awesome bearded dragon. Apparently if you like, well, apparently there's like definitely some inbreeding with bearded dragons, like with issues, people like the jaws are crappy or well, like, we they're, like they're... Heather Moy, uh, and she, she said basically they're everyone's trying to cross out different animals at this point. I mean, like they're trying to get more bloodlines in there. They're breeding yeah. up 
the Vitaset. I don't know, or the bearded dragon. They're trying to outbreed it to the one of the other like species from Australia that's like adjacent to it or whatever. So like that's where they're at, and it's like we need to take take that as an example, not to you know get into that situation. Yeah, yeah, and and so her uh, her spiel or whatever. I was just asking about one because I was like, man, they're cool, and like I don't know, man, fuck it, maybe I'll. Maybe one, you know, I'm a bearded dragon. They're, they're awesome. Like, why why not? Uh, but I'm like, why don't you see a lot of zeros? You know, are they just that popular? She's like, well, you, if you're breeding them visual to visual, you're not doing it responsibly. You know, mm-hmm. like they're not healthy, sick, whatever. I, you know, she's like, I only do head to hats or I produce hats so you can make one. You know, you can really make one from your pair or whatever. And I was like, that was an interesting thing to think about. I'm like, hmm, what other things might that be true about? Like, I know lizards are different, but you know, snakes have weak, it, they don't advertise it, man, but just some genes are weak. Like I didn't know that the lavender gene is not very strong in hog nose. Hmm. Like I have seen stuff on Facebook, like you do a visual to visual, you might have some babies that die or don't thrive, whatever. So then I'm like, well, I'm doing pretty good. Cause I got some hit lavenders. There's, that's a good, Good move so far. Um, there's weird stuff by that, and no one tells you beforehand. <laughs> but no one. I mean, it's not not even like the breeder or whatever. It's just like that. No one. No one. No one. Because it's like they just they're they're like yeah whatever. It'll like that'll sort out later. It's a cool morph. People want it. Want to put it. Yeah, in like itself. as long as it looks nice. Who cares what the downside? Yeah. Are. But then there's other stuff like I I I it would seem that the the albino gene is super strong with hog nose though like some you know it's like every bit as healthy as regular or you know whatever um here are things dude i don't have any friends i just like cruise on facebook and stuff and like i don't even have like a personal facebook i have like a fake facebook that's boz hogs and i just friend them i just follow a bunch of reptile groups and watch people argue um and definitely weird stuff with retics like a lot of super forms of stuff like might die and like you kind of like may you might know that but you could buy a snake and not realize like oh this is yeah i wanted like a lutecystic snake it was cool it's like two grand i didn't know like they have digestive problems and i might i might get two to ten years out of it um and that's that's interesting because until those points there weren't you know, I spent, I don't know, maybe like some colubrids and stuff. There's, I just hadn't had the experience of a morph really being tied to anything that like made the animal shittier. Mm. Like, or at least from a kid, like maybe they just didn't know that back then, but it's like, I never saw like a weak corn snake. It's like, yeah, it's got like five genes in it. It's huge. It eats. It's cool. Well, I see, I see some degradation once you go, I don't know. It just seems like things that have a lot of recessive morphs stuffed in it have had. Yeah. Some... Yeah. yeah so I mean, had... to be honest, like I haven't, I don't have any firsthand yet with, you know, I have a lot of like things that are head for a ton of stuff, but I haven't, don't have any firsthand, you know, experience with how it actually plays out. Um, but still like kind of definitely something to, you know, think about weak, weak morphs. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, cause if you if you think about it, it, we're lucky that we have so many things that just change the visual aspect or just change the phenotype of an animal and don't affect anything else. I mean, it may even be it far. Weird. 
you know, they don't affect anything else. Maybe they do more so than we know. You know, what really like really kind of blows my mind and something that didn't, when I was a kid, there wasn't enough like different morphs of different species like to realize this, but the fact that there's so many morphs that are the same exact morph that go across species is really fascinating to me. The fact like you can have a, like a, you know, an anery retic and an anery corn snake. Mm. You know, like, I guess, uh, sure, albino, it pops up, whatever, but like, or, you know, just a, a piebald, like a pied corn snake, but also a pied, you know, ball python. Yeah, it's like genetics go kind of across the board. Um, yeah, and it's like almost like what, what kind of stuff is like baked into all these snakes that didn't, it's not like the, the evolution, they evolve enough to look different but they didn't evolve enough to not carry these identical colored pattern mutations. And that's like, that's just like really cool to me. And that's something I didn't realize that, you know, I didn't know as a kid. So getting back into the hobby, I was like, dude, this is like some weird, like gremlin rules or it's like Pokemon or something, <laughs> you know, like there's this like weird, like mystical rules. We don't know about reptiles that like, all you got to do is like keep braiding like ring neck snakes together. And before you know it, you'll have like a, you know, piebald snow ring neck snake. Well, there's there's spontaneous rates of mutation, so it's like uh, the but more them make them... breeding captivity, the more chances we're gonna. Yeah, you know... but like none of none of them make them like have legs or something or like fur. <laughs> you know, it's like it's like a oh, different different paint job, dude. I guess different I guess paint job. you get like the one that get is born with like two hearts or something, and you don't know, yeah. and it randomly dies. So yeah, yeah. So there's probably some underlying thing, especially if you like produce in large numbers, you'll have random babies that die, you know, like just straight up die. And who knows? If yeah, but weird. man, but what if one had like, what if a snake was just born and it had like lips and it was fine. And now you have like, you know, hognose snakes with the lips and it's cool because they're like, well, they did it with scaleless, you know, it doesn't affect the snake. Yeah. Where's the line there? I don't know. I don't think that's going to happen. I just like thought it would be cool. It's like, you know. Something else, yeah. They, you know, grow, it grows fins. Yeah, you know? yeah. We should we should have legs eventually. You know, we need. Speaking to... of the dino, well, this goes back to the dino chicken. You know, <laughs> like just just hatching into what it evolved from at some point. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a dino chicken. So, Scott, where do you think uh, your collection is going in the future? What's uh, the future of boss hogs? Oh, in the future, man, I, I feel like I've really put in the infrastructure into the room. I have like a manageable climate in cages for everything. Finally, I bought, built some racks. I got the animals I want. I'm raising them up. Um, my hopes are to stay on top of it enough that I can just be there for when the various animals are grown up and breeding and it's like nail that pairing feed it you know just stay on top of everything make sure things are getting fed and paired up at the right time and hoping uh because i'm doing a few species and i'm kind of doing this like powering through it you know thing um i'm just looking for like a fairly decent success rate you know mm. uh if some things don't go for a certain year or whatever that's cool i'd rather have that than like have another egg bound snake or something or some other weird shit because like I didn't have the incubator set up perfectly or, or whatever. So, um, I'm just wanna, my, honestly, my goal is to try to not let any of my critters down. 
right? Yeah, like just follow through. I, you know, it's time for the follow through. That's pretty much where it is. And that's kind of the hardest thing for a lot of stuff. But, you know, it, definitely having podcasts and stuff to listen to while you clean cages and calling and rant, talking, just having, talking to people, having all these conversations is the kind of thing that I think for me keeps me going because, uh, I mean, you can find people that are into reptiles, but I also feel like it's pretty easy to like be into this thing and be isolated too. And the oh, thing yeah. that's going to make you want to quit is not having anybody to talk about it with. Especially when, because like you said, it's like never letting any of your animals down. That doesn't mean that your animals don't die. That means that yeah. you're trying your best at all times. Things are still going to go wrong. You're going to get slugs or eggs are going to go bad. Like stuff is going to go but wrong. you're not giving up. But yeah. you're not giving up. And you need someone to talk to during those times sometimes to realize like, yeah, totally. Because someone's yeah, going to be stoked at that time when you're super down and you may be like, Oh yeah. Like keeping reptiles is cool. It's just not cool for me at this very moment. I just need to stick through this. Yeah, man. And like, I had a bunch of, I had a bunch of egg bound, you know, females last year, hog nose that I called the dude that I, you know, buy them from, and he was super reassuring and helpful. And he's like, well, I, you know, he says this, I'm out of that, that saying this, I feel like so many reptile people are in this situation where they're like, I'm taking this snake to you. Hi, veterinarian. I'm taking this snake to you. I kind of don't trust anything you say, but I know you're the only person that qualified to help me, but the breeder I buy snakes from says you should do this <laughs> and try to see like how much you can kind of like, find a happy medium of them, like not just killing your snake because they're following like directions out of a book and not totally disrespecting them as doctors. Right. Yeah. That is a funny thing about that. So yeah, there's a, uh, you know, that, uh, well, Oh yeah. So yeah. Having the breeder, having a breeder, you buy stuff from repeatedly, not only do they maybe give you discounts, but when you start to have problems with their stuff or just problems with the experience, they want to see you like, if not succeed, at least not just fail at it. You know, like no one, I don't know. If you like sell snakes to somebody, you don't care if, you know, that, you know, if that's the end of it, like that kind of sucks. Yeah. Yeah. You, you hopefully have some type of, uh, it's totally passing the buck man like yeah. especially if you like the exchange happened the money went into my hands the snake went into yours i can just like sociopathically say that this is not my <laughs> responsibility anymore even though i know you're like gonna fucking like give it to a five-year-old who's gonna sit on it and kill it immediately or you're like keep it in a deli cup for six months um and then no, like, they just go in the car and they put it on the dashboard and let it die yeah. done right after they get it yeah how, oh, do you love like seeing the dudes like pull their like snakes out of their car in the winter, like their boa constrictors in the winter and like walking into the reptile show? Because and you it, need it around your neck at all times. It's really important. Or he was like, I think this one guy, he was like, just going to, he was like going to sell it to a boa breeder. You know, he's like, yeah, he's like, I want to get rid of this, like whatever, you know, the, you'll find a home for it. And I don't know. It's weird because I mean, I mean, speaking with the whole COVID thing and everything, like people judging people for each other, like the way they, do things like their practices of what they think is safe or smart or common sense or being cognizant or whatever. So there's just like a lot of whole gray, gray area. I feel where half the boneheaded, dumbass, ignorant shit people are doing. They're literally just not even, they're just like, Oh, someone, Hey man, your snake is out in the cold. Like that, that could be really bad for it. Like, Oh, like maybe I should be more careful about that. And then the other person is like, fuck you, man. 
I'm smart. I know what I'm doing. You know, so like you can't just assume everyone's a terrible animal. You can't assume someone's bad because they're ignorant. You know. Right. And but at the same time, there's plenty of ignorant shitheads out there. It'll, uh, you know, come over to the reptile show with their eight foot boa. It's like, yo, let me wipe some crypto all over you. Get my IBD. <laughs> yeah, like, man. Come, I don't... come and get it. Not a not a big fan of that. I mean, I, I love that people are into their animals, but I mean, you're putting way too many uh, stimuluses on that stimuli yeah. on that on I mean, that animal. I will say, at a Repticon, I saw a couple with like a married couple with ball pythons around their necks, and I was like, those people are in love. Like, yeah, yeah, it's not the worst. Like, I'm, that's great. Like, I love it. It's cool. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, uh, like, little Dicky, man. We've we've gone over two hours. Uh, yeah, well, this is a little dicky. <laughs> I don't know what he even sounds like, but this is what he sounds like. Kind of like you, yeah. No, uh, I we were supposed to move every podcast to to one hour, but sometimes I suck. Um, so yeah, man, we we hit two hours. So where where can everyone find Boss Hogs and uh, check out what you oh, got boy. going on? That brings me to how like I'm way more into caring for this stuff and having ideas about companies than actually running them. But you can follow Boss Hogs on Instagram. It's B-O-S-S underscore H-A-W-G-S. Um, I think this Hogs, Boss Hogs, this will be a good uh, kind of motivation. I was thinking of actually going through my whole collection, taking one picture of all my snakes, you know, number one through 50 or whatever, and be like, here's the first snake, here's the second just so everyone can get a good look at what's cooking, you know? Um, through that, you can message me and email me and everything. I mean, that's probably the best thing. I'm going to set up a morph market relatively soon also. Yeah, man. I look forward to seeing what you produce. Thank you. And thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. I'm all, I'm all cooped up and got plenty of thoughts Ruminating. that are ready for for words. You know what I'm saying? So you're you're a fellow, uh, just just you alone in the house. Is that your situation as well? I or? was living alone for a while, and honestly, I really liked it because I'm. It's like weird. I'm like, I just don't. I don't like the idea of people hearing me. Like I like listening to music and singing and just like goofing around, and it's like it's weird if I know like roommate can hear I, me. I know my neighbors can hear me though. Like I I I yeah. sing and do all silly shit because I live. It's alone. just weird. It's but. it's just weird even having one person around. It's like I I am the most open when I'm alone because I know no one can see me. Right. Um, but yeah. So but my friend he like didn't have a place to crash right before COVID unrelated. Like he was just trying to find like a place to rent in Baltimore. And it, it just kind of sucks around here. Like it's just, it's just gotten more expensive and a lot of more like weird, stupid loft things that are just not like, not everything you want. Anyway, he started crashing on the couch and that turned into him living here now. So luckily I have someone to like, give me some rent money and shit during COVID. <laughs> That's and nice. He, and you have someone there. I mean, just so well, you know. help, help me pull the bull snakes off me. Oh, you know? so he was there for that? Yeah, yeah. I had, I had to go up to his room and like have him help me, like because I was like handcuffed with the snake, yeah. And I didn't want to like yank it, so I had him like you know spray it. Um. So that's that's nice for sure. That's definitely um, a good experience for uh, for a random dude to have. Dude, the 
The other thing, the, the the really dumb thing too is like he lived here. He was my roommate for five years, and oh, then he damn. moved out, and I had the whole place to myself. And it's like that's it's just like time machine, you know, time warp back to eight years ago or whatever. When it's like, yep, yeah, hang out, watch TV, stuck in the house. Um, I know you got to go, but I just need to plug. This is not related at all. I've been playing the hell out of Breath of the Wild on Switch, that Zelda game. I have no idea what you're talking about. Oh, my God. So, yeah, Nintendo Switch came out. Their flagship game was Breath of the Wild as a Zelda game. And that's been keeping my sanity through all this because it's a game like the the map on it, like the map you roam around is equivalent to like five miles across. So you literally you see some mountain over somewhere with like a dragon like circling it. And you're like, oh, cool. I wonder what's over there. And you like walk there and like two hours later, you're there. Oh, yeah. fuck, oh man it's, yeah, so that's it's just so like cool that just like melts away your life like it's just such a time suck it seems like yeah but don't we all need escape from things no yeah it's like way too real real oh it's great yeah that's my plug that's, that's what i really plug i've been really I thought everyone was gaming. playing automo- or animal crossing now i have that too man don't get into that no. i mean like we'll just keep talking though is oh, what okay. I mean. It's it's cool. I'm trying to like use it to flirt with girls, you know. Be like, you know, what's up, like, what's up, girl? Like, I'm gonna like drop this shovel off at your island. You know, you need some tools. It's yeah, not working. It's pretty hot though. <laughs> I mean, oh my my Animal Crossing name is Snake Daddy. <laughs> I'm trying to like fill the whole island with like I'm trying to catch. I haven't caught any snakes yet, but I'm trying to like catch all like reptiles and like so you just, can like, like catch this random animals like you can, so you can catch any bugs or, like fish or whatever animals. yeah no it's just you're on a kind of deserted island you start to like develop on your own as time goes on more animals and organisms show up and you like make you like craft a net and catch a bunch of bugs and you like submit them to a museum where they like set up these really cool like museum dioramas where you like go in and look at these bugs you caught and then alternatively, you can just like go in your house and place them. Like you hit, like you hit a button to drop the bug in your house, and it like just drops it on a desk, and it'll like be in a um, critter keeper. Wow. Like it'll just drop it in a critter keeper, so you can like literally just like wall your whole house with like enclosures. You're like, oh, I gotta um, clean my funny. collection in yeah. animal no, crossing. No, there's no cleaning, man. <laughs> just catch them. Yeah, That's just it. just the fun parts. I like it. So yeah, yeah, welcome. Uh, thank you guys so much for listening to uh, Animal Crossing podcast. Check, check of, me out. Breath of the Snake Cast. There you go. So you can check me out at portcitypet.com, Port City Pet on Facebook, Port City Pet on Instagram. This is from the Ground Up podcast. Scott, thank you for hanging out, man. We'll catch you guys later. Thank you.